Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Little check swing. Back to Helsley. He's got it. Underhands. The Cardinals. The 2022 NL Central Division Champions. It's the fourth consecutive year in postseason play. And a season that has been defined by so many great moments and individual milestones. In 2022, the Cardinals are the champions of the National League Central Division. That's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals did what they wanted to do. They accomplished the goal, the first goal really, of the season, which is to win the NL Central alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It was a cool scene last night as the Cardinals won the division. Alex, I was... Sh- I was taken aback a bit by the lack of celebration on the field. It seemed like it was just something that they expected, which, I mean, I think all of us kind of expected it as well. But then they got into the clubhouse and you saw them start to celebrate. Let's start with Ollie Marmol and the speech that he gave to the team after the game last night. I think it spoke to what this season has been all about. We've had a lot of things happen this year that are individual accomplishments. All right, you think about our guys, MVP seasons, the whole, I mean, there's a lot there. The 325, Yad, Bueno, all right? You got 700 with Albert. And at no point in the season did you make it about yourselves. Everything you did the whole way through, regardless of what you were chasing, you were pointing to one thing, and that was the championship, helping us win. And that, I mean, that's big. That's important. Because what it does is show the next wave of players that are coming through, the young guys, that we play for more than just ourselves. We play for something bigger. This organization has a ton of championships, and this is the reason why, because of the culture that you guys set. All right? Just understand something. This is the first step towards what we want. We talked about it in spring training. Everybody does, but we actually have a shot. Okay? Real quick with uh, Albert and Yadi announcing, you guys, this is your last run. It ends in a special way, all right? It's supposed to end with the championship. So I want real quick two things. Where's uh, Nola? Right here. Congratulations. <laughs> That's what it sounded like last night. Again, audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. They got the exclusive coverage inside of the Cardinals clubhouse last night. Smart to do it that way and not have a cell phone. Yeah, release the coverage. Yeah, probably the better way to go about it. Don't need anybody getting traded. Alex, I think Ollie Marmel set the tone for this team in spring training. When he said publicly, you don't hear this a whole lot, especially from Cardinals managers, management, anything of the sort. He said, our season is only a success if we are the last team standing. 
That is for him what would define a successful season because that's what defines success for this organization. I think when he said that and with the way that Yachty, Wayno, but specifically really Wayno and Albert have treated this season with, hey, we're going to get our accomplishments, but it's really about the team aspirations for us. I think that set the tone as well for what this season was all about. See, I thought he set the tone in his press conference because didn't he say in his press conference when he met with people when he was hired as the manager, like his goal is a World Series? Yep. And I remember the three of us standing in here because we were carrying that live and we all kind of looked at each other like, that's an interesting thing to say when you just got this manager position, but this is what he's always been about. And then I think the tone was set even more when Albert Pujols was signed and joined the team in spring training, because at that moment, you kind of knew what the Cardinals were going after. They were adding somebody who could be a threat to them offensively, but they were also going after the final year with these guys. And it just felt like not the nostalgia part, but it felt like they were building something to have that right off into the sunset season. And they kind of comped it all together. And you're right. Uh, Ali set the tone there. You had all of the records that were set this season. You had the players that stepped in when they absolutely needed them to. And I loved what Ali said in his speech of basically saying like, we've gone through a lot this season and we found a way to get to this point. Sometimes adversity is the best thing that can happen to a team. And they went through it this year. I also think you guys tell me if you disagree with this. I disagree with this. Okay. That sounds about right. I think this year was a little different than it's been in recent seasons. I think in recent years, the Cardinals have fought just to get in. I think this year, the Cardinals are fighting to get through. And what I mean by that is this team, and I, I think it goes back to the win-loss record in some respects, this is more of a legitimate 95-win team. Whereas in recent seasons, it's been a struggle to get to 90. You look at where they're at right now. You need two more wins to get to above 91 wins on the season. I'm using that for a reason. The Cardinals have won more than 91 games just two times between 2006 and 2021. Alex, for you, with your childhood, most of the like big time winning Cardinals baseball that you think of came between the years of like 03 and 06. Mm-hmm. That was like the, the prime years, right? The MV3. The, that's what you think of in your mind's eye when you think back to like what Cardinals baseball is and should be. It hasn't really been that in the same way, at least since definitely 2015, but like 2013, 2015, those were awesome teams. Those were in some ways one-offs. This team feels like it's getting back to that. It feels like now that you have your cornerstones and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in place, now that you have some of these young guys that are coming back through the pipeline where it doesn't feel like you're scratching and clawing to find, okay, do we have an everyday starter here or there? This feels like it's getting back to something resembling those early 2000s teams, or if you want to point to them, 2013, 2015 as well. It's, it's more in line with that than it is what we've seen from like 2016 to 2021. I would agree with that because you're seeing kind of what you mentioned. You've got the pipeline that's getting ready to come up. I mean, they had, what was it, eight guys in the top 100 prospects in all of Major League Baseball at one point this season. You've got Gorman, who I think graduated from the prospect list, but... He's on his way back up after this season, I would have to say. You've got the cornerstone guys and Goldie and Arnado. And to your point on instead of it just being a year to get into the playoffs and trying to get through the playoffs, I think the deadline kind of signaled that. I, I, I think the Quintana deal was kind of 
the move at the time that felt more, not, not now, but at the time it felt more as the, okay, that's just to get their trade. And then Montgomery felt like the one that was the over the top. Oh, they're not just trying to get there. They're trying to make a move and get through the playoffs. So I would agree with that sentiment. I think they are building towards something that's going to be special for the next couple of years because they've got the young prospects that are getting ready to come up. And whether they use those guys as internal pieces that will go on to help win a World Series or they use some of them to go and acquire another big batter, another big starter, something along those lines. So, yeah, I think this is different. This feels different than the last handful of years. I mean, last year was clearly just, okay, let's find a way to piece this thing together and get in. And then before that, the other handful of years under Mike Schild, it kind of felt like it was, okay, we're there. And like 20, I think 2019 was the NLCS year. They were there, and then it just felt like they were overachieving. And it, and it didn't really feel like they had the potential pieces to go on a run. And I, I truly believe this team, I said it yesterday, I think this is a disappointing season, not a failure, but a disappointing season if they don't get to a World Series. That's just become my expectation when Ollie set the tone for it early on and what you saw in August. And now that they've won the NL Central and you're starting to see some things kind of click back together where you're like, okay, I can see where it's starting to trend in the right direction as they get ready to go on this October run. See, I, if they don't win a World Series, I don't sit there and look at it and say, oh man, they should have won that there because I, I don't think they have that team. Like, the Dodgers are that team where you look at it and say, if you don't win the World Series, that's a loss for you. The Braves are kind of that team. I think the Cardinals are what I said yesterday. And to your point, BK, I think you're you're kind of combining those two eras a little bit because you do have those two MVP players. And honestly, Pools has played that way in the last couple of months. Yeah. But you also get that 2011 feel of Memphis Mafia where you're combining the rookies with these star-studded players. And Hopefully that can pay off here, but that's how I look at this. And that's why I said yesterday, like NLCS is a success for me because that's where this team should be with all of the success that they have had with the pitching staff, with the MVPs of pool of uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt. And then with the younger players to get to that threshold, you're trending in the right direction. You're setting the tone saying, okay, now we've got to be better than that. I also think they've just dictated decisions based on performance. And that's such a difference. Like I, I would imagine a lot of you listening right now have grown frustrated as I have and as all of us in this room have over the last number of years where it's like, man, that guy's not performing. Why is he starting every day? It doesn't make any sense. Why is this guy up here playing every night in the big leagues when there's somebody in the minors that could clearly do the job better or at least deserves an opportunity to try to do the job better? There have been individual moments like the Zach Thompson thing for a little while was weird. They held on to a couple of guys, maybe longer than I would have. But more often than not, they made decisions like sending down Paul DeYoung when I certainly did not in recent years think that they would have made that kind of a move. They decided to move on from TJ McFarland early on in the season. They let Nick Whitgren go. They have made decisions based on performance this year. They are utilizing players in the best way possible. And so I will give a lot of credit to John Mosellock and to Ollie Marmol, who I believe have worked in tandem this year in a way that I'm not sure we've seen in recent years because Mo trusted the manager to utilize those young players when they were called up. Don't think that was always the case under Matheny or under Schilt. So credit to them. The organization seems to be aligned in what the philosophies are. And I think that that's going to serve them well, not just for this season, but future years as well. I think they maximized what this roster could do. And that's all. I mean, that's the highest compliment that I can give to an organization in any individual season. They ended up taking the talent that they had available to them and winning the division. This is the first goal. 
This should not be the only goal this year. You said yesterday, Tanner, NLCS or bust at a minimum. Alex, I know you're on that wavelength. I think that the three-game series makes it a little tough there. But, hey, man, I'm with you guys. That sounds awesome. I'd be in for that. This is a team that is good enough to go on a run. And in recent years, I didn't always know if that was the case. Last year, I could convince myself that, hey, because they're so hot, maybe they can do it. But this one feels different. This one, if they if they get things going, they've got the talent to be able to beat anybody that they see in the National League playoffs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Plenty more on the Cardinals throughout the day today. Coming up at 1.30, we'll talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, coming off of last night's preseason win for the St. Louis Blues. Once again, we also got to talk to him about the unfortunate Scott Perunovich news. We'll get into that coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. But next, the guy that was on the mound last night, He's the best pitcher that the Cardinals have had from start to finish this season. That's not my opinion. That's Adam Wainwright's opinion. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When you clinch a game, sometimes it's good when your best pitcher's been on the mound. And, uh, and it seemed like this year, Miles was, you know, it's a little hard for me to say this, but Miles was our best pitcher this year. He just was consistent and pitched a, a lot of really good games for us. And, and uh, I felt like he deserved to be out there. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Adam Wainwright on with opening drive. If you miss any of their conversation, it's a really good one today. And it definitely sounded like Wayno was ready to go back to sleep by the end yeah. because it was a long night of celebrating for them last night. Uh, you can check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app, all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I thought that was big of Wayno to say. It's not an easy thing to do. When you're as prideful as Adam Wainwright is, you always believe you're the best, right? That's how we got to where he is today as being one of the best pitchers of this era of baseball. It's because he always believed in himself. Even when others wouldn't, he did. And I think it's true what he said. Miles Michaelis from start to finish this season has been the Cardinals number one starter. And if you look at what he's done this month, Alex, there was a blip on the radar in the month of August for, for uh, Michaelis. It's over. He's back to being the guy that he was the vast majority of the season. This month, he started five games for the Cardinals. He's gone 31 innings. He's allowed a total of 31 base runners on 22 hits and nine walks. He has 29 strikeouts. This is the part that's really escalated for him. He's got that swing and miss stuff, including last night when he had nine of them. And opposing hitters are batting just 200 against him. Miles Michaelis, if it wasn't already secure... Last night secured the fact that he's your number one starter going into the playoffs. That's the guy that I'm going with in game one. Absolutely. That, the last start against San Diego solidified he was in the rotation in that wild card. If he wasn't already, last night he solidified being the guy that's starting game number one. And I think it was more so because of that strikeout stuff. Uh, you know Miles is going to give you five or six innings. I, I mean, look, even his worst outings, he's been able to give you four and a third back at the end of August. But... You know he's going to give you that. He's going to find a way to get out of jams and do as little damage as possible. But last night was everything kind of encapsulated of what he has done this season. Four hits, one walk, and then the nine strikeouts. And he was one, awesome last yeah, night. Yeah, that run that was the home run that he gave up. And that's like the worst thing about Miles Michaelis. When he's at his best, he'll give up a home run, a solo shot, but that will be it. So Miles solidified that for me. And I feel like that's the way it should be. I know a lot of people want Adam Wainwright to be that guy, 
but Miles has been the hero all season long. Miles was the guy that I don't think anybody expected to be this good, and he has been, as Wayno said, their best pitcher from start to finish. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, I made the bold prediction. You know, he'd have a sub three five lead the team in wins and have 107 innings. And I'll be honest, like I felt that was a stretch. Like I wasn't certain that he was going to get there. Hit all three. Yeah, T Bone three nailed it again. Uh, but Miles <laughs> Michael like is Ferrario five. Yeah, I know, unbelievable. BK buildup gonna hit. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that, buddy. But I agree with Alex. I think Michael has solidified himself as the guy that you try to get into that game one start. And I, I thought he was there heading into that start, honestly, last night because of what I saw in that San Diego game that you made reference to. And I know he had those blips on the radar in August, but again, those were at like small ballparks, Colorado, Cincinnati. Like I didn't read too much into that. I, I expect pitchers to struggle when they go there. So seeing this out of Miles Michaelis has been incredible because I hadn't into the year. I truly was not certain what you were going to get from him. I, I thought it was just I, when we made that when I made that bold prediction, that was kind of okay. What is something that's bold that if it just happens to go the right way could happen? I truly did not think he was going to get to that spot, though. I, I did not think he'd be the pitcher that we've seen this year, and he makes you feel really comfortable heading into the playoffs with him being the number one. It, it reminds me a lot of his first season in St. Louis. He looks a lot like that guy that he was in, what was that, 18 when he mm-hmm, first came yep. here? And that's a good thing for the St. Louis Cardinals because he looks like a workhorse in the playoffs. He needs another two innings to reach a new career high. He's uh, two-thirds of an inning away from getting to 200. I don't know how they're going to set this up down the stretch. I'm not sure they know exactly how they're going to do it just yet, but I would like to see him get to 200. I know it's, in for a lot of people, insignificant number. I do think it's meaningful, though. In, in this day in modern baseball, when you can have 33 starts over the course of the season and get yourself to 200 innings, I think that's a really big thing, man. You just see so few pitchers that are able to accomplish such a feat because of injuries and because these guys just don't go as deep into games. Michael is trained for this. Over the last two seasons, he has pitched a total of 45 innings. And now for him in 2022 to get back to this place where he was in 2018 in his first season here in St. Louis, man, that is one hell of an accomplishment for him. But he's not alone. Jose Quintana is also going to take the mound tonight with an opportunity to build his credentials once again to be in that playoff rotation. Ali Marmol told um, the media yesterday that the Cardinals, if they were to draw the Brewers in the first round of the playoffs, they would consider throwing two lefties against the lefty-susceptible Milwaukee lineup. This is according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It's a good consideration. So you would probably see Michaelis and then Montgomery and Quintana as your three starters in that series. If they were to draw Milwaukee, I don't think they're going to draw Milwaukee for what it's worth. The Phillies are one of the other teams that they could draw. They're one of the top six teams in baseball this year against lefties in the majors. This is something we talked about the other day. So they probably would not go with those two lefties against the Phillies. San Diego is a team that they would probably be looking for swing and miss stuff against. So you're looking more at the Jack Flaherty style of things against the Padres. I think that if you see the same version of Quintana that we have seen now for the entire month of September, and by the way, he leads all of the National League in ERA in the month of September. I, I think he's a guy that I would also put into my playoff rotation in that wild card round. I can't believe that I'm saying that. Like, If you told me two weeks ago that it was Montgomery or Quintana, one of them makes your playoff rotation, I would have almost bet all of my money on Montgomery being that guy. Where do you guys stand right now as of today with the information that we have available to us? Let's assume that they end up going up against either the Padres or the Phillies. Are you starting Quintana against those two teams? I am because I, I got to start one lefty. And right now the one lefty I'm starting is is Quintana. 
maybe Montgomery pitches better. I know Ollie said that he pitched, had his best stuff against the Dodgers and they just got to him. Quintana's had his best stuff pretty much since he was acquired and he has been limiting the opponents to two or earn runs every single mm-hmm. time. Um, so yeah, Quintana is going to be starting regardless of who I'm going up against. And then it really comes down to if, if I get the Phillies, the Padres, I don't know if I'm as concerned about pitching two lefties, although and I, I think the Phillies are the team that you're probably going to face. Exactly. Like if I had to project. So if it's the Phillies, Quintana's starting game number two for me. And then right now it's going to be Wayno is your stuff fixed he sounded like he was trending in that direction at least earlier this morning if it's fixed he's getting game three if he's not jack flaherty's getting it that's how my rotation is set up as we sit today i I think that's how i would go too i i just think quintana and michaelis are guys that are locked in for games one and two with quintana getting game two because of what we've seen from them since with quintana since the deadline because he's been so good and in the month of september it still continues to trend in the right direction I know the splits aren't in favor of that because of Phillies hitting left-handers really well, but I'm going to go against the, what the splits say, and I'm going to go with my gut and what my eye what my eye sees. And my eye sees that Jose Quintana is clearly the second best pitcher on the staff in the month of September. I know he's got the better ERA, but I think Michaelis has better stuff so far in the month of September. I think Quintana is your best second pitcher, so I would put him in game two, and then game three to Alex's point. It just depends on what Wainwright looks like. If Wainwright looks like himself in his next start on, I believe it's Sunday against Pittsburgh then yeah, I, I think that Adam Wainwright gets that Game 3 start in the wildcard round. If Wainwright's stuff does not look very good, I think they can they look at Jack Flaherty or they go to a bullpen game. I, I, I don't know if they'll go to Montgomery because of the splits. I think Game 3 you play the splits a little bit more. Uh, so I, I think it comes down to what does Wainwright's stuff look like. That's going to be the biggest determining factor this weekend is Wainwright looks good, he probably locks himself into that third start. That's my next checkpoint, Sunday start. That yep. is going to be the final straw for me of saying, okay, I know what my rotation looks like for the postseason. That's one of the biggest starts of the year. Yep. Like it, It's strange to say that. It's a it's it's mostly meaningless game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but that that is the biggest start of the year, at least for Adam Wainwright, given what is at stake for him. If he's good... I think you could totally make it a reasonable argument that he should be the guy that ends up getting the start in game two or game three of the wild card round. If he's not, I think he's eliminated from my wild card contention, and I'm going to one of those other guys that's available the, to me. Are you putting him in the bullpen? No. You're not. I don't think you would make my wild card roster. And you're saving him for the NLDS mm-hmm. in hopes that you get there and then hopes that he gets right? Yep. That would be my plan. And, yeah, and I think I, I agree. I understand if Wayno think that, thinks that's unfair, but his his value to me is not in a one-inning relief role. His value to me is giving me length over the course of a full game, and he's more valuable for me to save until the NLDS than he would be for me to throw him out there in any individual game in the wild card round. By the way, just for what it's worth, I know that there's the lefty splits against the uh, the Phillies. Quintana has gone up against them once this season. It's a pretty good game for him. Pretty much what we've expected from him. Five and two-thirds innings, gave up four hits, two walks, zero earned runs. So he did that to the Dodgers. T-Bone, you made this reference last week. He did it to the Dodgers three times in that third start with the, the Cardinals this yep. season. Like he's pitched well. The one game that he didn't was against the Atlanta Braves. And even that he only gave up two earned runs. Yep. Yeah, he's he's in he's your rotation for the wild card. And against the Phillies, like I understand the splits and I, I play towards those matchups. Typically, sometimes you just got to bet on your guys. And this would be a bet in favor of Jose Quintana that I don't care what they do against other pitchers. I care what they do against my guy, and I believe in my guy to get them out. And, and to your point on Adam Wainwright in the potential bullpen, I agree with you. I, I don't think he would make the roster because he doesn't have that real swing and miss stuff that you want coming out of a bullpen in a one-inning relief role. That's why like someone like Jack Flaherty, 
or I, I would be curious if they would consider Montgomery coming out of the bullpen. I don't know if they would do it or not, but I think Jack Flaherty would be a guy that you could put in there and you can see if you get one inning because he's got the swing and miss stuff. And Wayno does, just doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have much swing and miss. He's more pitch to contact. Especially right now. Yeah, and, and they don't really want that out of the bullpen. Like I know Hudson's probably going to make the roster, but he's probably not going to be used unless it's in case of a, hey, we need a double play. Who's the guy that's going to get it on the ground? Either him or Pallante, but Hudson has better splits against righties. And then otherwise, the other role for Hudson is just length. If for some reason something goes wrong, he's back there for length. So I can't see Wayno making the roster if he's not a starter. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. But coming up next, another tough injury for Scott Perunovich last night. If this is significant, and we don't know yet if it is, what does that mean for the Blues on the blue line? Do they look elsewhere? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. bad for him he just you know he's had a tough go with injuries and uh uh you know you feel bad for a kid like that he worked hard all summer and uh he was ready to come in and prove himself and uh it's an unfortunate thing well he looked like you know he he looked he didn't look good when he's coming off yeah so that was Craig Berube after the game last night. Scott Perunovich injured in the game as he was hit into the boards. Alex called it a nasty hit. I would call it a just, you know, a typical hit that you see in a hockey game. No, you know what? We're going to stop right that. there. We're going to have this conversation right now because, my God, Blues fans, some people just don't like words. I use the term. Words na- have meaning, man. You got to use them correctly. You look up the definition of nasty and find out what it means. Okay, it, I got you. Go ahead. Look it up and read I'm the first for definition for me because I think a lot a lot of people thought I meant dirty hit. wasn't a dirty hit. It was a nasty hit if you're Scott Perunovic. It says here the synonym for nasty is dirty. No. Yep. Look up nasty definition. Highly unpleasant, Thank especially you. to the senses. Physically nauseating. Well, That's one. That's if not you're the Scott one Perunovic, you used. If you're Scott Perunovic, that was physically nauseating because you got injured. Read the definition. Behaving in an unpleasant or spiteful way. I didn't see any spite okay. in that day. Did you, right. Tanner? No. Okay. You know what? Y'all about to bring the demons out in me. <laughs> it also says, Harry was a nasty, foul-mouthed old devil. That is the way oh, that no. they utilized that's it. A different, so. That's a different definition. Don't yeah. go after that one. What's so Scott on? Perunovich, probably going to miss Loud a little bit of devil. time. We don't know how long, Alex, but... This sucks for him. Let's start with Perunovich, and then we'll get to what it means for the Blues in the bigger picture since... He's had such a tough go of it with the injuries, man. It it feels like every time he finally gets healthy and starts contributing in a meaningful way, whether that be at the NHL or the AHL level, something happens to set him back once again. Where are we at right now with Scott Perunovic as a player and what he could be for the Blues? I mean, where you're at right now. So let's go two sides of this one. Scott Perunovich had three points in two preseason games, and all of those were on the power play so far. Like, Scott Perunovich looked like he was going to make this roster out of camp so he could be on that second power play unit because they were practicing Nico Mikola on the right side. Mm. So, Scott Perunovich had made an impression so far through camp. Now, the flip side of this, where we're at with Scott Perunovich, he's 
his entire career has been injuries right now. He came over from college and he had to have surgery. Uh, I believe that was last season or two seasons ago where he had to have the wrist surgery in March, which pretty much ended uh, his season. It's about a two month surgery and they were going to reevaluate him in eight weeks. So they shut him down last season. He performed well, but then the injury came into play here. If you're, if you're blues, you look at it and say he can't stay healthy. And that's our biggest concern right now, because when you're a smaller stature defenseman and you're going up against the other team's bigger players, you're going to get knocked around. And if you're not able to stay healthy, it's a risk that teams can't take with defensemen, because we saw last year in the postseason defensemen go quick. And at one point, you've got nine guys you feel comfortable with. Now you're sitting at seven that you feel comfortable with. So I think for the Blues, where they stand with Scott Perunovic and where Scott Perunovic stands is the only thing he can do to prove himself for this team is he's got to stay healthy for a lengthy period of time. And unfortunately, it just hasn't been able to happen for him. I was going to say, I, I think the place at the Blue Sands, they just don't know what exactly they have in Scott Perunovic. There's just a big old, it's uncertainty is what it is, is because of the health that you're talking about. If he can't stay healthy, then I think it is starting to raise questions in the Blues organization of, and it's, it's more of just what you're saying. Can he really play at the NHL level because he's going to get knocked around a lot? And right now it's, showing that he can't for whatever reason he just has been unlucky with the injuries he can't stay healthy and it just leads to just all this uncertainty for the St. Louis Blues I don't think they know what they have in Scott Perunovich I I know I they think they know what they have they don't know, they what, know he what they can be I think they know what they think they have in terms of his potential but I don't think they know if he'll ever reach that potential because of the injuries so I just think it's uncertainty I don't think the Blues truly know what they have in Scott Perunovich because you haven't been able to see him play at a healthy level and, and yet. Tim Taylor the director of player development told Joe and Joe told me this on pregame they sat down with him and he said the biggest thing for Scott Perunovich is showing that he doesn't make those high risk plays in the offensive zone so like they were looking at areas that he needed to improve on which tells me that they really were high on him for this upcoming season yeah it Somebody on the text line mentioned this, and I think it's a fair comparison. It, it reminds me a little bit of Alex Reyes. Now, they're different in what they do and how they ended up getting hurt, but Alex Reyes had all the potential in the world, and last year for half of the season, he put it together and looked like one of the more dominant relievers in all of baseball. You could see why the Cardinals have been so high on him for so long, but then again, it, it just hap- It seemingly happens every time. Once he shows you signs of optimism, uh, there is that 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 relapse almost, and in, in, so to speak, and then he's back on the IL once again. And for the for the Blues, I, I think that where I'm at with him is anything you get out of him this year is just gravy. And I wonder if this is also part of why the Blues decided to re-sign Nick Letty. I think it is. You know, because you just you say to yourself, like, we can't count on 82 games out of Scott Perunovich. And if you can't count upon that, then you needed somebody else to be out there to to cover some of those minutes for you as a top four defenseman. Like, imagine if they hadn't re-signed Nick Letty right now and you get hit with the news. And listen, I'm the guy that argued for them not to do this. So I'm arguing against myself, I suppose. But you don't have Nick Letty. Now you don't have Marco Scandella. And at least for the foreseeable future, you don't have Scott Perunovich. I mean, we're talking about in your top six going into the season. What, you're going to be starting Callie Rosen on a night-to-night basis? They probably would have brought in somebody else, but like an older veteran who maybe gives you a solid 12 minutes per night. Uh, in some ways, they're lucky they ended up re-signing Nick Letty. Well, and they would have had to probably go to the trade market at that time, and teams would have had to hamstring them because, yeah, or you'd be going to the market and you'd be signing like an Anton Strawman or a P.K. Subban before he went to retirement. Yeah. You're right. You, you would have to be going into desperation mode, and that is why they signed Nick Letty. Uh, at least part of the reason they signed Nick Letty is 
I just don't think they know if they can trust Scott Perunovich coming into this season, which is unfortunate because the guy won the Hobie Baker award. The, the guy is a good defenseman. He's a great defenseman, at least on the offensive side. But the difference between Perunovich and Tory Krug is Tory Krug can stay healthy and has done throughout his entire career. So do you think that they go to the market? I know for a lot of Blues fans, you go back to the same conversation yeah. that we've been having for what, almost two years now with the the question of do they go out there and get – What's his face? Nicholas Haig, Jacob Chikrin. Chikrin, One specifically. Do, do you think that they look at that, or is this just an internal, you replace him with the guys that you have currently? I think right now you're going to impl- replace him with the internal guys. Like So right now, Nico Mikola is going to be your third-pairing defenseman, and I think they feel very comfortable with that. And then Rosen's seventh. And then Rosen's your seventh. And look, I mean, Steve Santini would be the next guy down. So if somebody else gets injured, then you're starting to get into a little bit of uh, rough waters. Arizona and Chikrin's thing is just really ugly right now. And Elliot Friedman on his podcast basically said like teams are still calling. Uh, and he mentioned the blues being one of those teams that are still interested in him. Maybe Arizona decides to drop their price down because Chikrin has made it very clear. He does not want to play there, but I just don't think you're going to pull a trade off now unless Arizona is just going to take a steal for you because you've got, you've still got a very capable roster that you can sit here and say, we're good. But I wouldn't put it out of the question that the Blues look at Jacob Chikrin a month, two months into the season because they did it with Justin Falk. They had no spot for Justin Falk, and they made the trade for him. They said, we just want to make sure we're good on the defensive side. I could see them doing that with Jacob Chikrin. But if this is a wrist injury for Perunovic, and we don't know that to be sure, you're talking eight weeks, so maybe he's back in a couple of months. So I don't think you go to the trade market. For what it's worth, they also have the money. Like the, yeah. the thing that is different this time around is you don't have to send out four and a half million dollars to be able to acquire Jacob Chikrin. You got to send out like two, and mm-hmm. that that makes a big difference in what you're able to do to make it work in terms of what the salary cap ramifications are. And I'll say this: like if, and again, this is pure speculation. I'm not trying to get people excited about it, but it's just a conversation piece. If you're going to find a way to make a deal with Arizona, Arizona had been reported to be interested in Blues goaltending prospects. And if that's the route you want to go, you've seen some really good goaltending performances, at least in a couple of preseason games in Colton Ellis and uh, Vadim Zarenko, who played last night. Maybe you look at the uh, Joel Hofer and say, if this is what it takes to get it done, maybe we pull the trigger now that we have an opening. The, the only reason I don't think they're going to make a move for a defenseman is because I think Arizona's still going to hamstring him. In fact, now, if anything, it raises the price. Oh, you desperately need this defenseman? I mean, we already heard what the asking price was at the deadline, and I know it's ugly, but unlike in the NBA where if a guy complains he wants out, it's okay, well, we got to get him out of here. We've seen NHL teams don't really care. I mean, Vladdy's still a St. Louis Blue. I thought Vladdy wasn't going to be yeah, playing last year for but, the St. Louis Blues. But the Blues. difference between Vladdy and Chikrin is Vladdy was able to be a professional about it and kind of make it like, hey, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm just ready to go. I mean, Ch- how many times did we see in the in the news, though, last year around this time? Hey, not this time, I guess, two months prior to this time last year, 14 months ago, that he was demanding a trade and we got lists and everything. But you never like, heard it from Vladdy. And that's the difference. Jacob yeah. Chikrin made it very I, clear I, in front of the media. Like, I don't want to be here in a rebuild. I, I think, think he gets Armstrong, traded, but I don't think it's still the trade. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think it, Bill Armstrong is still going to say, hey, I, I don't no, care. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I basically learned under my predecessor and Doug Armstrong, that I'm not going to just move you because you want out. Yeah. I need the right package or you will play the length of this contract here in Arizona. And I, that's why I think now is 
We know what the asking price was. It was high. I think it's even higher now for the St. Louis yeah. Blues. So Unless it gets I don't ugly think they're there. doing it. Unless I, it gets ugly there and they say, we got to just move them. If, and then that's where the Blues can swoop in. If they make a move, I think it's for someone that's like a third pairing defenseman. A guy that can come in, can play. There's that sixth defenseman or can be the seventh defenseman. That way you don't have Kelly Rosen up on the team and he's down in the minors. That's that's the move I could see them making. I just don't think they go for the big fish in Jacob Chicken right now. Coming up in 15 minutes, Adam Wainwright sounds confident that he found a fix to his mechanical issue. We talked about that earlier this morning on 101 ESPN. We'll let you hear his answer on that and what it means for the Cardinals rotation in the playoffs if he does get it fixed. We'll get into that coming up at noon. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes, we'll let you hear what Adam Wainwright had to say earlier today about his arm issues and why he believes it's a mechanical problem that he can fix. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes after I stop throwing my mouse all over the studio. No promises. Right now, though, let's get to questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Hey, guys, do you think that the Cardinals would consider calling up Hennessy's Cabrera before the playoffs to see what he could contribute to their bullpen? It seems like he's been performing better of late in Memphis. We did see a piece on this over on uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday. If he is right, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just don't think there's a spot for him. I mean, I, I think I'm still using Steven Matz above him. I'm still using Jojo Romero above him. And then I think I get to Henesis Cabrera. Like he'd be third. Zach left. Thompson. Yeah, Zach Thompson probably. But so, so he's and you a, use Polante in those spots too. Yeah, so, I mean he's the fifth guy you're bringing. Like I, I mean he's not bringing anything to the table that those guys aren't able to do. So I, I wouldn't. My my pitching is set right now in terms of the guys that I have. I'm kind of with Alex. I just don't know if there's much of a role for him here right now. Like I, I don't see the spot for him. And if you call him up, who are you sending down? Like. The guy that they maybe would justify is Jake Woodford, but Jake Woodford's been pretty good for them coming out of the bullpen since he was recently called up. So oh, I just boy. don't know if there's uh, a spot for him. By the way, yesterday he got lit up. It's fine, though. Is he Hennessy's 99? Hennessy's Cabrera yesterday gave up six hits and five earned runs in one inning of work. He's not coming back. Is this the end of the road for Hennessy's Cabrera? I think he'll be back with them next year, but oof. It went quickly for Hennessy Cabrera. He was so good for such an extended period of time, and then it was just over. Life as a as a reliever. You ain't lying. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the three one four. I'll go ahead and put this towards the two of you. Hey guys, why wasn't BK shot with a paintball gun yesterday? Yes, you, we do need to address this, and I'm highly disappointed in myself. So we had Should everything. Be. I'm blaming you. We had the uh, the paintball gun. We had the paintballs. Um, and the equipment failed us. And that's on oh, me. The, the equipment failed you, huh? Yeah. That was on the, the equipment. Well, I had no, everything I ready to go. The, 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 the equipment wasn't working. So I'm gonna, okay. I'm in the attempt of trying to get it fixed tonight so that BK will be punished tomorrow. And I promise you, we will bring more pain for BK than what he was supposed to have yesterday. Um, what? The yeah. problem just is, like, apparently paintball guns aren't a thing around 
anymore because it is impossible to find yeah, six, some five, of these seven, things. Yes, 65780s your comfort service tax line. Let's go ahead and get this out there. If you are a paintballer, paintball gun enthusiast. Sure, that, that'll work. That's Thanks. a better way to phrase it. If you are somebody that is a paintball gun enthusiast yes, and you know where you can get a CO2 canister either already pre-filled or get one refilled, refilled please, please send yeah, that in to yeah, the because, Comfort Service. Because this line. is what we're trying to figure out right now because the piece that we have, it uses those little tiny capsules and there might be an issue with a gun. I'm going to figure that one out later on this evening. But if not, I got a backup paintball gun available, but it needs CO2 refilled. And I don't know where the hell you can do that. Okay, can I address something too? What? I think... I think he had too many layers on. He had like five layers on. That's the whole point of it. No. You're supposed to feel the pain, not not absorb it. I promise it. you I will still he looked feel it. Like, he looked like the Michelin man yesterday. He was like <laughs> padded and everything. By the way, no, um, Dick Sporting Goods and Academy do not because I have checked both of those places. So you can send those back in. Uh, right now, they do not. Walmart is the one that I'm curious about. So I'm going to figure that one out. I promise, though. The plan, as long as I get this figured out tonight, BK will be punished more painly tomorrow. More painly. Painfully. Okay. That's what I meant to and say. And I will say, BK tweeted out yesterday he had nothing to do with it. It is true. Now, granted, I think the BKO played some factor I do factor think that's very it, true. So I think he very did kind of have an effect. Uh, uh, Wacky Warriors people are texting in, so Wacky Warriors isn't open until the weekend, and we want to get this done tomorrow. So I need something that I can go to tonight to get that refilled. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Glad we addressed that, and we heard that it was all Alex's fault. Nope, Coming all, up nope, in 15 minutes, the equipment. play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. But coming up next, Adam Wainwright sure sounds confident that he found a fix to his mechanical issue. If he fixes it by Sunday, is that enough for you to have confidence going into the wildcard round? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinals would really be well served to get Adam Wainwright back on the way that he normally is playing. You okay over there? I just smelled cinnamon. You got cinnamon in your coffee over there, T-Bone? I do, but I can't smell. Well, still, still. <laughs> it's been like two years since I had COVID, so I can smell it. It, it smelled delicious. Good. That's all. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. All right, take two. Good. The Cardinals would be well served to have the Adam Wainwright that we saw for the first four months of the season revert back to form for the playoffs. Unfortunately, he's been dealing with the dead arm and then it became a mechanical issue for him and he has not performed well over his last five starts. It sounded like earlier today when he was on with the opening drive, he may have found a fix to this. Here's Adam Wainwright earlier today. Our trainers have a theory on it because I got hit by a ball in my left knee and my left knee swelled up real big and my calf wouldn't turn it on. So I couldn't really stick my landing like I wanted to. And they're convinced that that's when I started pulling off with my front side and my front, my front arm real bad. When I started to try to have enough, having to try to create something instead of just letting my delivery work for itself. And, and uh, that's just not how pitching is affected at this point. It's not a fatigue issue. It's a, it's a, it's a mechanical issue, you know, and it's, that's the frustrating part is usually I'm able to make a, uh, an adjustment really quick. And this one has been a little longer. I got into some bad habits. So now, now I'm correcting that yesterday in my little flat ground session, I was behind the baseball and, and driving the ball downhill for the first time in three weeks. So that's exciting. Now I just got to put it to work because, because nobody cares about practice. You know, this is an Allen Iverson thing. This is nobody cares <laughs> about practice. 
they want to see me put it into a game. When was that comebacker? Was that against the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what he said. And so that would make sense. Timing wise, it would line up because since that game against the Braves, in five starts, he's allowed 17 earned runs and he has a 6.4 ERA. And if that's truly what has been, and I'm not questioning that, but if that's truly what the issues were, it led to that leading to the mechanics being off. I mean, that makes sense because how much do we hear about Ryan Helsley, who had knee surgery yep. in the offseason, who said, I lost the ability to feel comfortable on my landing leg. And it was at a point where he was thrown not 104, yeah, like 96, 97, yeah. which is like good velocity for most guys. But for Helsley, and for Helsley, that's nothing yeah. compared to what we saw last night where he's throwing 104 regularly. So with Wayno, where he doesn't have much velocity to lose, he can't. It's. Kind of goes back to my questions about the long term for Ryan O'Reilly. When you don't have the ability to lose a whole lot for O'Reilly with the foot speed, for Wayno with the velocity, when you do lose a tick or two off of it and you're throwing 88 now instead of 90, uh, it, it could be a problem for those guys because players just they'll sit on it. They'll, they'll wait for your fastball and then crush it whenever they hit it. And if you can't command the curveball as well on top of that, who buddy, it's going to be a long night for Adam Wainwright. And that's what we've seen lately. So the hope is that he's going to be all right and he'll get back on track on Sunday for his game uh, that he's going to start for the Cardinals against the Pirates. I thought this was interesting, though. Rick Hummel, in his chat yesterday, was asked about Wayno, And he said, quote, unless there is a significant rebound this weekend, I do not think that Adam Wainwright would be a part of the Cardinals' three-man rotation for the wild card round, whether he has dead arm or not, end quote. Again, that came from Rick Hummel. Alex, can he convince you on Sunday that he's still one of the guys, best man for the job for this wildcard rotation? I think he can. Um, and, and as we just talked about, I think there's only one spot that he's trying to get because I think the other two are locked down. I think he can convince me if they if they pitch him in Sunday against Pittsburgh, but it's got to be like vintage Adam Wainwright. I mean, I'm talking seven innings where he's given up three or four hits. The, the velocity looks good. The command looks good. It doesn't look like he's ailing at all. Like, I need to see vintage Adam Wainwright before I can sit here and say, yeah, I'm good with him. Because the thing, if he pitches well, that's only one game. And if and I'm going to the Pirates, and if I'm going to say what I said about Miles Michaelis, where it's like I got to see this a couple of times, or say what I said about Jack Flaherty, where I need to see this a few times, I can't be a hypocrite and say, oh, yeah, one start Adam Wainwright. It's going to take a lot for me to be convinced that he should be starting that one. See, I, I'm going to not look at the numbers. I don't care about the opponent. It's just the eye test for me. Does his stuff look like what it looked like early on in the year? Because if his stuff looks good, then yeah, I think he can convince me that he's getting that game three start. And I know it's just one start, but to me that means Adam Wainwright found something. And then all this talk about this dead arm and the mechanical issues was a true thing. That it was just, hey, he for whatever reason, something got out of sync. Maybe it was the knee that got hit and swelled up on him and it led to him changing things, and now he's fixed it. So I'm not going to be looking at the numbers at all. He could go five innings, and if Pittsburgh just battles and raises the pitch count a lot on him, but his, num- his stuff looks good. He's got command of the breaking ball. His cutter looks good. His sinker's got some good movement to it. Then, yeah, I think you start Adam Wainwright in game three. And compared to, like, Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright's been doing it all year long. Jack Flaherty's only made seven starts this season. So, like, if he gets one start and Adam Wainwright has his stuff back, I trust that he's found something, and I trust him enough to, with his experience to go start game three in the wild card series What if both Wainwright and Flaherty look good this weekend? I would probably still go with Wainwright. Well, then that's a conundrum. I would probably still go with Wayno. I think I would go. He's the guy that got you there. But you've been saying all along that Jack Flaherty has the best stuff of anybody. Yeah, but I think Jack Flaherty at this point is just competing to 
be a starter in the playoffs. Like I think we not can not necessarily all, a top three starter. Yeah, I I still believe he has the best stuff on the staff, but I. You, to me, you go with the guys. I think Mark Drosa said it. You go with the guys that got you here. And Adam Wainwright, you know what you're getting. I've seen him perform in the big on the big stage multiple times over his career. And I think that's kind of the tiebreaker for me is I've seen him do it before. And if he finds his stuff, then I'm starting him game three. And then maybe I go with Jack game one in the NLDS. I think that's where I'm at, too. I, I think that for me, Wayno has earned the benefit of the doubt at this point. And if he looks awesome this weekend, he's the guy that I'm going with. And I don't care what anybody else does. Like, I don't care what Flaherty does. I don't care what Montgomery does. The guy that I would be starting is Wayno. Now, if Quintana gets hit around, he doesn't look good. And then both uh, Montgomery or and Flaherty look outstanding this weekend. Okay, maybe you can have a conversation about those two versus Quintana. But Wayno is going to potentially play his way into the rotation, regardless of what happens around him. And I think Michaelis is already in my rotation. Those are the two guys that have earned it based on what they've done for the full five months worth of the the season. And then it comes down to what those other three are potentially going to be able to do for that third spot. I mentioned both Montgomery and Quintana. I think we got to give a little credit, especially after yesterday with the Cardinals officially clinching this division. We got to give a little bit of credit to John Mosaylock because each of the last two seasons, his trade deadline acquisitions last year saved the season and this year boosted the team into a stratosphere that I don't think any of us saw them in prior to the trade deadline. Jordan Montgomery was everything they could have asked for and then some. And Jose Quintana has been like the model number four starter. He's been the guy that we were asking for. Could they find their Edwin Jackson? That's exactly what he's been, maybe even better than what Edwin Jackson was for the Cardinals back in 2011. So credit to John Mosaylock, the two guys that they needed in the in the rotation this year and last, he was able to acquire them both seasons. I also thoroughly enjoyed watching John Mosaylock's face in that clubhouse last night during the speeches <laughs> when Ollie was like, this is the step and this is what we're trying to achieve. And now our next goal is a World Series. And you could see Mo's face the same way that he said earlier in the season where he's like, I'd like to temper that expectation of just us getting into the playoffs. But I, I know people always attack John Mosaylock, and he is the kind of scapegoat when things don't go right, much like Jeff Albert is, because you know he's never going after those big sexy names. I, I think this off or this trade deadline was his most impressive trade deadline, and I think we talked about this after the acquisitions were made. But I think this is the most impressive trade deadline that John Mosaylock has probably had as a Cardinals man or general manager, president of baseball operations because of the impact that those two players provided to the team and the trade that he made, because you don't typically see him make a, you know, I know it's not the sport, but like the hockey trades where you're trading a good player for another good player. It's usually prospects for a good player, but you traded a guy who was an impactful piece in your outfield and you banked on the player that you were getting in return was going to solidify the biggest question mark on your team. And I know he's struggling now, but he did this. So whatever happens the rest of the way, as much credit as we're going to give Ali Marmol for being a great manager this season, I'm giving even more credit to John Mosaic because he addressed the biggest need of this team and he went all in on that address. Yeah, and I, and I would even say that his deals at the deadline even saved this season because I, I think they were a borderline playoff team with the rotation that they had. And I think when you bring in Montgomery and Quintana, it really stabilized that rotation to where it was – yeah, we actually have the offense to go out there and beat teams. We just weren't getting consistent enough pitching, and then our bullpen was getting tired. So to his credit, I think he saved the last two seasons. And to your point on this being one of his best deadlines, I think it is. It's probably top three. I think up there when he traded Craig to go get John Lackey 
and he opened up the spot for Tavares at the time. And then the other one of number one, of course, is 2011. 2011, I mean, he made just unbelievable moves that ended up panning out well. But I, I think this is definitely one of his best trade deadlines in terms of knowing what you need. And also, let's not forget, I know a lot of fans were upset they didn't get him, but also dibbling into the Juan Soto sweepstakes and then deciding, okay, we can't make that deal based on what they want, and then still going out there and acquiring what you de- desperately needed, which was two starting pitchers and considering what you gave up for them. I mean, we don't know what they gave up in the – or they gave up Bader, which is a big piece that's missed. The outfield could definitely use Harrison Bader now. But for what you got, I think it equals out to where it's a good deal. And then you look at the Quintana trade. I mean, they gave up Johan Oviedo and Moises Gomez. Like, two guys that, let's be honest, not sure how what their future was truly going to be here in St. Louis. So I think he did a hell of a job. And I think it's back-to-back years that John Mozeliak has saved the Cardinals' season at the trade deadline. In 15 minutes, was yesterday the jumping-off point for the Cardinals' offense, especially Andrew Kisner? How about that? Backside home run for him. We'll get into that coming up at 1230. But next, more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. PK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Talking there, man. Six five seven eight zero zero. Couple of conversations like the for more likely embarrassing. To... It was the equipment. Oh, okay. By the way, thanks for all the recommendations, everyone. Uh, a couple of jerks out there, though. Someone said uh, there's this thing called Amazon. Amazon doesn't do it. And then somebody said there's this thing called Google. Uh, not cool, Texter. Not cool. I appreciate that. I think that's true. No, you know what? That's three shots now. Let's play a game. Whoa. More likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Guys, more likely to happen. The Cardinals lose in the wild card round or the Cardinals advance to at least the NLCS? Out after the wild card, advance to the NLCS. Which one's more likely? I'll say out after the wild card. I don't like saying it, but the offense still scares me. So I, the the NLCS, although I think that should be the expectation, that is a tough thing to do, especially if you're going to be going through the Mets. Uh, so I, I guess I got to be Debbie Downer there and say out after the wild card. On that point, the NL East is going to be fascinating down the stretch. They are it's officially the, tied at the top of the standings. It's the only this weekend. It's the only it, division. Oh, that, that really? I think it's this weekend, yeah. Atlanta and the Mets. Do. It's the only division that has competition right now still. Like, how is that possible? Yeah, well, I know a lot of baseball. teams like to tank. Brave yeah. schedule down the stretch. They've got one more game tonight against Washington and then the weekend series against the Mets, then three next week at Miami. The Mets schedule down the stretch. They're finishing up tonight against Miami, then the series at Atlanta. They finish up at home against Washington. The, seri- the division is going to be one or loss this weekend. Yep. Uh, I think it's more likely, and I hate saying it too because I think the expectation should be get to the World Series, but I think it's more likely they are bounced in the wild card round because, as we've mentioned, in a three-game set, anything can happen. You're going to see the best of either team, of whether it be Philadelphia, Milwaukee, San Diego. Like Everybody has a good top one-two in their rotation. So, And to Alex's point, the offense, though I think last night could have potentially been a jumping-off point, has still continued to scuffle here in September, and that's concerning. I think the Cardinals pitching can compete with any team. It's just can the offense do enough to muster a few runs to where I feel comfortable saying they could get to the NLCS. Right now, I'm still not there. So We're all on the same page. I think it's more likely that they lose in the wild card round. I was just going through to see what the, uh, the potential pitching matchups would be against any of the three wild card opponents that they could go up against. 
I do not want to see the Padres. Has nothing to do with their lineup and what they've got star power-wise there. This pitching matchup would be brutal, man. You got to go up against Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove in a three-game series. That's daunting, to say the least. Against the Brewers, they don't really have a number three starter if Hauser is out for any extended period of time, but Woodruff and Burns, not ideal, obviously. And then against the Phillies, it's Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez would be my guess as their third starter in that series. It's not ideal, but I think that's probably the one that I would circle as giving you the best chance. They do have a lineup that scares me, but I think the Phillies would probably be best case scenario. I also think they're the most likely scenario. But could the Cardinals lose in two games and get shut down by Wheeler and Nola? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's totally in play. Yeah, that. I just I look at the other team's lineup, and that's where I'm like, because offensively, it's a concern no matter what. You're either going against really good or really good. Mm-hmm. But I look at the lineups that you're facing against on the pitching side, and I think the Padres is more desirable than the Phillies because I think the Phillies lineup can hurt you. And if I can go up against the San Diego Padres and figure out a way to get around Machado and Soto, I have a little bit more comfort in that because if I'm in a 0-0 game, I feel comfortable. If I'm trailing after the second inning, I'm a little concerned. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. I like this one, guys. More likely to pull off the upset this weekend. Is it the Jaguars going into Philadelphia and playing against the Eagles? Oh, boy. Or one roar, T-Bone. One roar. A jaguar. I do a lot of animal noises at home these days, guys. I don't know if you know about this. You want to know what my giraffe sounds like? No. What does a giraffe even sound like? Sounded more like a dinosaur. What kind of dinosaurs are you? I I don't think giraffes make noises. Really glad we did that. I don't think giraffes make noises. Let's try this one more time. What the hell's happening? Is yeah, it the Jaguars sure? at the Eagles or the Bills on the road at the Ravens? Are the Bills considered the underdogs? Yep, Three-point underdogs. Ooh. Excuse me. The, no, the Ravens. It's the other way around. <laughs> okay, I was going to say. The Ravens at home against the Bills. Bills. Take two. How are the Bills underdogs? Uh, I'm going to go the Ravens uh, with the upset in this one. I don't think as much as you and I love the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, future division winners in the I just I think the Ravens have a better opportunity against that injured Buffalo Bills team. I think I saw Xavier Rhodes is going to be signing with Buffalo. So like they're they're trying to find whatever they they're trying to find whatever they can to make up for their injury uh, filled uh, secondary. So I'm going to go the Ravens. I think I'm with you. I, I think I would lean towards the Ravens because Buffalo is so beat up defensively. And that's the one thing that could really derail their season is if they deal with so many injuries. I mean, last year I thought Baltimore was a good team and they just dealt with so many injuries. They couldn't overcome it. And that's kind of becoming my fear with Buffalo. They haven't lost too many key offensive players yet, which I think is where I'm still confident in them. But I, I'm just not sure Jacksonville beats Philly. I, I think they cover that six and a half point spread. I'm just not sure they have enough to get over the top to beat Philadelphia. So I'll say Baltimore is more likely to upset uh, Buffalo. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page here. You've got the potential MVP of the league this weekend in Lamar Jackson, who is potentially going to have an MVP moment. If they are able to beat the Bills this week and next week, all you'll hear, whether it's on sports radio or watching ESPN, wherever, Lamar Jackson is back. He has arrived once again, and this is going to be one another year of him potentially uh, running away with the MVP. I saw something yesterday, and this was to your point. We were talking about Lamar yesterday for MVP, where he's like 80% of the offense. There are 12 teams in the National Football League that have fewer touchdowns than Lamar Jackson has been responsible for this year. And that includes some good teams like the LA Rams are on here. Uh, Buffalo is on here. 
Tampa Bay is on here. Dallas Buffalo is has on fewer here. touchdowns as a team than Lamar Jackson does. Yes. That's amazing. And Buffalo has one of the best offenses yeah. in the league. Uh, more likely to have a significant impact on the Cardinals in the playoffs. Tyler O'Neill or Jordan Hicks? <laughs> Can I go with option three and say neither? I'm going to say Tyler O'Neill because I think I think there's a lot of bullpen options for this team. They desperately need Tyler O'Neill. So I'm going to say uh, the Canadian Hulkster. That's where I'm at. I, I think it's about opportunity. Yeah. And the opportunity is more there, in my opinion, for O'Neill than it is for Hicks. Absolutely. I also think it's more likely, though, that Jordan Hicks is back for the wild card round than Tyler O'Neill. See, I, I think it's more likely it's Jordan Hicks because I know we talk about the roles, but I mean, they had a role pretty much set for Jordan Hicks mm-hmm. before he went on the IL. And I think that they trust him more than I trust him. So I think it's more likely it's Jordan Hicks. I don't know what his role necessarily is, but I think they trust him or they could bring him in like the fifth inning maybe. And he goes an inning maybe two. And then you can get it to those back end arms in Thompson, Matts, Gallegos, and Helsley. I just... And I know we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but I'm not convinced O'Neill's coming back in, in what his role is. I know they want him to be an everyday outfielder, but hearing Mo talk yesterday wasn't necessarily the most uh, relaxing thing I heard over the, uh, the last 24 hours. Uh, let's continue here. More likely to happen. Jake Neighbors earns a top six role or Logan Brown locks down the third line center position the entire season. Ooh, the entire season. That's tough. Um... I'm going to say when he's healthy. Yeah, I'm going to go Logan Brown here because I don't think there's a spot for Jake neighbors in the top six. Joey was talking about this on uh, pregame with me last night. I I don't want Jake neighbors to play with Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo because that is way too much inexperience on a top line that you could be using defensively. I don't care if it's sod or Shen, one of those two I want up on that line instead of Jake neighbors. I feel like that's got sod written all over it. I, and, and they played last night and they were quiet in the first two periods, third period. They really started to find their, their chemistry, which was nice to see. Also, then you've got a guy go into the front of the net for O'Reilly. Yeah. Kyra's not going to be that guy. Oh, should he be? That's and not that's, his role. And that's why I think sod and Shen will rotate with that left wing spot. I think Logan Brown will lock down that, uh, that third line center. I think I'm with you there. I, I think it's more likely Logan Brown remains the third line center for the whole season just because I'm I'm with Alex. I'm not sure if Neighbors gets top six opportunities, I think it's more due to injuries than it is for the fact that he's earned his way up into the top six. I'm with you guys, surprisingly enough. I think it's more likely that I don't think either of these happens for what it's worth, but I think it is more likely that Logan Brown ends up as that third line center. I also think that Braden Shin's going to end up being that third line center more often than not. I just think that that's going to be the role for him. You've got Saad in the top six with O'Reilly and Kairou. I, I think there's a chance that by the end of the season, it's actually Kairou down with Thomas and Tarasenko with O'Reilly. And you've got Saad on that line. So you've got a shooter. You've got a slasher. You've got O'Reilly doing it all going the other way. See, I flipped that. I actually think Buchnevich will be with O'Reilly at some point this season. And I think Kairou, Thomas, and Tarasenko will be a line. Well, I like Kairou, Thomas, and Saad with Buchnevich, Tarasenko, and O'Reilly. I think Saad will be on the third line for a majority of this season. And I think Shen will be a top six winger. And I've got Shen as my third line. Well, you know what, sir? I challenge you to a duel. You know what, sir? Good day. Good Coming day, up sir. In 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, was wow. yesterday a potential jumping off point? I don't <laughs> want to hear that ever again. Stop it. Wow. Was yesterday a jumping? It sounds like he's dying. A jumping <laughs> off point for the Cardinals offense. We'll see. Hopefully, they don't die the way that that draft just wow. did. Next, here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. it out to deep right center. Mitchell going back near the wall. It's gone off the top of the wall. It's a two-run blast. Kisner! And it's 4-0 St. Louis. Andrew powers up. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Was yesterday the jumping off point that this Cardinals offense needed to get going down the stretch? I think you could at least make the case that it was, Alex. Goldie hit a double. He looked better at the plate from start to finish in that game. Carlson has the two doubles, both of which were off of a right-handed pitcher, which was encouraging to see. And then Newt Bar with the double, and you get the home run out of Andrew Kisner as well. That's the power that they're going to need to have going into the playoffs. And they did it against pretty solid pitching overall in that game. I know that they had to go to the bullpen earlier than expected, but uh, the Brewers have at times stymied this offense as well. You look back now, and it's a very small sample size. I'm not going to try to say that it's not. But let's get excited about it. Since last Thursday, over the course of their last five games, if you look at it, the Cardinals are sixth, sixth in Major League Baseball in OPS. So again, it's a very small sample right. size. But this is getting back to what they were previously. Are you buying in? Are, are you ready to say, okay, this continues. I think that they might be okay offensively. Uh, buying in might be too extreme of a term there because it is a small sample size. As a group, I don't know if I'm there yet, but for some individuals, it did feel that way because Paul Goldschmidt looked a lot better at the plate. Dylan Carlson was the one I was most excited about when you get two doubles from him, and that was off of a righty, huge. which is really beneficial. So individuals got me excited for that, but as a whole, I'm still a little concerned. That's kind of where I am as a whole offensively. I'm there, but I, there are some guys that but you I'm, can get excited for three games, man. It's fine. Yeah, it's five. I, it's five. I, games. No, I, I, don't, three. I don't want to do the cannonball. I'll dip my toe in the water, but uh, always do. The, no, it's the pencil dive, man. That's the way to go. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing that either. I'm just going to dip my toe in the water, but I agree with Alex. I'm not sure I'm sold all the way entirely just because I want to see more from Paul Goldschmidt in terms of him getting out of his slump, especially down the stretch here, because it. Honestly, we're talking about the offense. We're basically talking Goldie and Arnado. I, I don't think there's any other discussion around anybody else. Carlson, sure, whatever he provides at the plate is good, but I, I think now at this point it's just mostly his defense. If he can play solid defensively, he was one I was most encouraged by last night but just because it was against right-handed pitching, and he looked more comfortable at the plate, I think. And same with Paul Goldschmidt. I thought Paul Goldschmidt looked more like himself last night, so those are the two guys that I was most encouraged by. But as a whole, looking at the offense over the last five days, it's just a matter of, Look, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about it, but I just don't want to dive all the way in yet because I could easily see where they just go cold again, where we've seen most of this stretch in September. How are we evaluating this offense in the playoffs? I don't even know if I am evaluating. I think it's just the fear factor for me. Like I think I'm going into the wild card round, expecting them to struggle and hoping that they find a way out of it. And the the reason why I ask this is because I, I see it all the time, right? People say, oh, I'm evaluating this offense against the best pitchers that they face. They're going to go up against the Sandy Alcantara's. I'm going to determine whether or not they're good based on that or Clayton Kershaw. Like, man, if they end up playing against, let's say it's the Phillies and you go up against Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler in that first the first two games of the wild card. The expectation should be that they get like 
one or two runs off of those starters because that's what everybody does. That is not me demeaning this offense. That's what teams do. That's why they're two of the best pitchers in the National League. But are, how are you going to be evaluating this offense, Alex, especially in that wild card round once we get Yeah, there? but see, I don't look at that as, oh, well, they're going to probably get one or two runs like most teams do. I'm looking at it, and maybe this is the evaluation of what they did against Blake Snell. That's why I'm worried. 13 strikeouts, unable to get a guy to second they base. They don't look competitive yeah like they're going it, it's what t-bone always says slug baby slug it's slug or nothing and that's where i'm worried about it so the evaluation is kind of to that point of uh, are you having those competitive at bats or is it just going up there hoping that you're going to take one out of the ballpark so if they do what they did last year against um who was it that they went up Kershaw. Max Scherzer. Ma- against oh, Scherzer, Max Scherzer. Yeah. Is that a win? Because last year, what did, didn't he go five innings against the Cardinals, and they pushed him out because they were uh, they had such competitive at bats. Yeah, I think that's what it was. They, they got his pitch count up. Yeah, I'd consider that. Yeah, that would be a success, right? I think it depends. And then getting to the bullpen, I'm not sure you're going to do game. damage. Then I, I think it depends on like the Cardinals, for example. If I remember correctly, I think Edmund got on on a single or he doubled. He was at second. He got to third because of good situational hitting. Get the runner over, and then he scored on a wild pitch. Like. I think it comes down to more of, okay, can you get that guy, whoever gets to second base, let's say Donovan's at second base, and you've got Goldie Arnato, and then whoever the five-hole hitter is, Yepes, let's just say. Can you take advantage when you get that runner in scoring position? Because I agree, it's going to be difficult. But if you get a runner in scoring position with one out, you got to find a way to yeah. bring him in. If you get a runner at third and nobody out, you got to find a way to get Jam him in. Jam the knife into the brain of the opponent and kill him. You've got to just take advantage of the small opportunities that you're going to get. Because I agree, it is probably going to be like, Two runs, that's probably the best-case scenario against a pitcher like Aaron Nola. But do they miss out on opportunities? That is going to be the key that I'm looking at. I don't know if it's so much of how are you evaluating the offense based on like how many runs they scored. No, it's if they get opportunities because someone gets to second base. Say it's they play small ball. Edmund gets a little bleeder, gets on, and then steals second base. Can they find a way to manufacture a run and take advantage of that scenario? That's how I'll be judging the offense. And that's where last year, like against the Dodgers, I don't think they really had a lot of those opportunities. I'd have to go back and look, but... I don't think they had very many guys in, in scoring positions. So they, they never had, had that one opportunity. big opportunity when Adam Wainwright came right. to the plate. I think they only they had like not three to... base runners. Yeah, way to go, Shelt. Yeah, Shelt missed out like right there. That's not on the offense. Could've, that was the manager not doing his job properly. For Juan Yepes, right? Yeah. They, they should have, and we saw how that ended up going, unfortunately. Yeah, in that game, just going back and looking at the numbers for the Cardinals, uh, Scherzer ended up giving up three hits and three walks. He threw 94 pitches in four and a third innings. That's the kind of thing that I'm hoping the offense does this year against whoever they go up against. Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, whoever it is in the first, uh, that wild card round. Just get him out early, man. Especially with the way that the series is now constructed, it's going to be harder to throw your bullpens heavily in each of those three games. Eventually, you're going to have to show the Cardinals, if you're getting their starters out regularly after four or five innings, you're going to have to get to that underbelly of their bullpen. And when you get there, you got to take advantage of it, man. When you see like a Noah Syndergaard coming out of their bullpen, potentially, you got to hit them hard and you got to make it hurt for them to bring that guy in. So that's that'll be the way that I am evaluating their offense in the playoffs. The other thing that I'm hoping we see in the playoffs is Tyler O'Neill starting every day. And yesterday we got an update from John Mosellock, Alex on Valley Sports Midwest. This was pregame on where Tyler O'Neill is at right now in his rehabilitation process and when they expect him back. 
Tyler is doing baseball activities, but when we get back home, we hope we can push that to more like game-like atmosphere. In other words, he is hitting right now, but not um, off a machine. So hopefully he can take that next step, and uh, we'll have a really good idea of where he's at by the time we, we finish the weekend. That's good. Shot that he could be ready for the postseason? I think there's a shot, but okay. obviously uh, the clock's ticking. Oh, Wait, so he's 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 taking at bats, but he's not doing it off of a machine. Mm-hmm. I thought the machine was the one you start with, and then you go to an actual. He's human. probably going off a tee right now. Would be my guess. Oh, that's um, not good. That's not good. Well, you know what you can do is you go off of a tee straight into a major league game. He's got eight days to get I, himself right before we start the playoffs. I don't think he's going to be playing. I, I at least for the wild card round, I don't think he's going to be playing. Tanner, where are you at on this? Um, Obviously, all of this is like the medical side of things, so it's impossible to know. But I'm skeptical that Tyler O'Neill is going to be ready in time for the playoffs because if he's th- – this will be the big weekend for him, but can he get ready in three games at Pittsburgh to get himself in playoff form? I don't know. That's going to be tough. So I, I'm i very skeptical of Tyler O'Neill being any sort of factor, at least offensively. If he can at least contribute and be solid defensively and then maybe you get lucky and he runs into a breaking ball that hangs in the playoffs – then sure. But is he going to be back to like full Tyler O'Neill where I see a guy that could be like clicking on all cylinders, be himself at the plate? I don't know. It's going to be tough to get ready in basically three days is the way it sounds like concerned. They're going to be reevaluating over the weekend. Anytime Mo says the clock is ticking <sighs> makes me believe it's not happening. If he's not able to play, what does your outfield construction look like going into the playoffs? Ooh, buddy. Let's assume they're facing a right-handed pitcher. I, I got to be honest with you guys. I'm starting Carlson in center field every day. Oh, I'm with you. I, I understand that he is not good offensively, typically, other than last night, against righties. I'm starting him. Yep. I, I don't think that the other guys that you've thrown out there have shown me anything to believe that they're going to be significantly better than what you're getting right now out of Dylan Carlson offensively. You, you, and they're definitely worse than him defensively. I think you have to have him out there. Lars Newtbar would be in the in right field for me, and then I'd have Brennan Donovan in left. Who's playing second for you? I'd probably Edmund and put Who's Paul DeYoung at short. I'm not doing that. I'm going Yepes and left. Yeah, I would. Paul DeYoung's value is as a defensive substitute in the eighth and ninth because he can't provide any value at the plate with They're his playing back. Them, so, though. yeah, against lefties. But honestly, I still feel like that's the wrong decision. I, I would probably go. I probably lean towards what BK was saying. I'd probably go Carlson center, Newbar right, and then I think I would go Yepes and left. I think that's the way I would go with it too. And then you that's got Donovan at second base and Pools so as your everyday DH there. I. Maybe it comes down to maybe they I, maybe they still view it as a competition and hope that Carlson still shows something over the final seven games because then maybe you could go with Dickerson left, Newt center, or sorry, Newt center, Dickerson right, Yepes left. But I'm kind of with you. I think Carlson provides the best defense, and in the playoffs, I kind of want that out in center field. I would like to see them give more opportunities to Yepes down the stretch. I, I want to see him get everyday at-bats, and I want to see him playing in the outfield. Because I, I think it's officially time to to see what he can do and if it looks better than what Dickerson's been doing. Dickerson's been cooling off now for about a month. He's not a good defender. There were new numbers that just came out today from Baseball Savant. He has the worst throwing arm from the outfield in all of Major League Baseball this year. Oh, that's good. Which matches the eye Let's test. Let's put him out there. <laughs> he, uh, he, he does not have a good arm by the eyes and by the metrics. It's oh, even man. worse than what I expected. Are we going to be the Marcelo Zuna 2.0 where he He's hands worse. the ball off? He's worse than Marcelo Zuna so far this year. Marcelo Zuna has the second worst arm in Major League Baseball. Is he going to hand the ball off to center field and say, here, throw this for me? It's bad. It, it is not good. But you want to put him out there in a playoff game? I want to put Yepes out there in a playoff game. 
I, I know that Yepes is not good defensively, but Ugh. neither is Dickerson, and at least I think that Yepes can hit. Like I want that. I want the value of having Yepes out there offensively for me in the first six innings of the game. And Ben Delugio, welcome to the big leagues, buddy. You're going to be starting in center field for the late innings if I have a lead. Yeah. <laughs> Take that 140 and put it in a big opportunity. All of this is why this I think they stinks. need Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, you need him. Like you, you need Tyler O'Neill because he gives you the opportunity to have an everyday starting left fielder. We don't have to talk about Dickerson. We don't have to talk about Yepes and what his defense is out there for you and potentially costing you a run when runs are super valuable going up against these kinds of pitchers that they're going to face. You need him, and then you can use Yepes in the right situations as a pinch hitter for you coming off of the bench. That would be the ideal scenario. Fortunately, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence either that he's going to be able to return before the playoffs. They, they need him, though. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Speaking of pinch hitting, Ollie Marmel deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's managed the team this year. We'll talk about him and why Eduardo Perez thinks it's the most impressive first year managing that he has seen in his time around the big leagues. We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. the juncture alex what do you have for us today well there's uh there's a new ranking right now in the national hockey league and uh frankly i think this is going to make I dom pretty this. jealous it's about the the three the teams that over the next three years are going to be the best yeah blues nope. were pretty low on this list did you see that tanner i, I think did they were like 17th you did this on purpose didn't you you jerk next three years 17th in espn's rankings i thought you were going to bring uh, up the regression players and bring up the fact that ivan Barbashev was on that list now we already knew that to be the case that's why he was on the fourth line this why year. you're going to trade him right the blues plan for that i will say credit to the blues they plan for the fact that he's going to have a regression here you know what i don't like your tone but I'm going to just move on with this. No, but see the future power rankings over on ESPN.com nope. right now. Number one in them. Have you seen this, Alex? If no. You, if you have not. Is it dumb? Because do I don't you, read it. No, it's, it's on ESPN. Who do you think is number one future power rankings? Best team over the next three seasons. Calgary. It goes by roster, prospects, cap and contracts, and then the owner, GM, and coach combination. Calgary. Nope. Florida. Three guesses. Uh, nope. Minnesota. Nope, nope, and nope. Nashville? Carolina is at number one on this list. Oh, that makes sense. Carolina's got a damn good team. Colorado, number two. The Rangers, number three. How about this for number four? Detroit. Well, it's... I know people are going to go to, oh, it's because it's David Perron. It's because they have two stud defensemen that are going to be playing for them. They have some incredible players. That's why. And it's Steve Eiserman. No, oh, he's good too, but who no, shows the You know reason? what? They have the number one list of prospects. And then at number five on this list is Minnesota. You get all the way down to number 17. Or excuse me, 14. I underrated them. 14 is where the Blues rank because they are 27th in the prospects list. Nope. But Alex, what do you have for This is a better list, and it's the most handsome NHL coaches. And they rank them 1 to 32. And guys, BK's favorite, Boost Brudreau. <laughs> Or better known as Bruce Boudreaux. He made the list. And it's not as the ugliest head coach. Take a listen. Bruce, there's a uh, gaming website that came out with a poll this morning ranking the uh, most handsome uh, coaches in the National Hockey League. Oh, my God. I don't want to be in that poll. (laughs) I got good news for you. 
your 16th overall, and out of a ranking out of 10, you, you, you scored, a, I think, an 8.0. <laughs> there must have been an awful lot of blind people doing that. <laughs> Care to bet who, who they rank as the most handsome and the most ugliest? Well, no, I'm not going to say. I know who it is, but I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> you rank Jay Woodcroft as the most handsome and the ugliest was Peter Laviolette. Oh. <laughs> not who I thought. But. <laughs> So now I just want to know who Bruce thinks is the ugliest head coach. He, you, you have the list in front I of you. I have the list the in front of me. most handsome head coaches. I have the Do you guys want to try and guess some of the most handsomest coaches? This is Carolina's up there. Uh, what's his name? Rod the Bod Brindamore? Yeah. He's 10th. Oh, I thought he was number one. Oh, no. Jay Woodcroft from Edmonton was number one. They said it on the audio cut if you listened. <laughs> I wasn't listening. He pulled an Alex. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> frankly, this list is a joke considering who number Jared two Bednar is on this list. Number one that I would guess. Uh, oh, Jared yeah, Bednar, Bednar is not on the top ten. What? Jared Bednar. That's absurd. <laughs> where is Jared Bednar? Jared Bednar is 15th. Really? Yeah. I'm telling you, this list is a joke when you hear who number two is. Uh, but John Cooper? Trying. John, John Cooper a good guess. is not in the top 10. John Cooper is 27th on this list. What? These people think John Cooper is ugly. I agree with Pedro. A bunch of blind people took this test. <laughs> so number one, you heard him say... Rod Brindamore? Rod Brindamore, if you would have been listening when T-Bone yeah, mentioned. Yeah, wait to pull a Ferrari. Huh? <laughs> I try. Uh, by the way, <laughs> do the thing over tied, here. tied for 10th was Dean Evanson from Minnesota, the Creed Bratton from The Office lookalike. So number nine on this list, John Tortorella. What? Number seven or number eight on this list is Dallas Eakins from Anaheim. Where's Daryl Sutter on this list? Craig Berube is seventh on this list. So congrats to Chief for being the seventh best looking head coach. I'm going to get to what your question was in a minute. Rick Bonus was sixth from Winnipeg, which that's surprising. Paul Maurice, fifth. That makes sense. John Hines from Nashville, fourth. I don't remember what he looks like. Derek Lalonde. I'm not even going to try. Detroit's head coach is number three. Martin St. Louis. Is that who you think it is? Yeah. uh, BK? Is what? Who do you think number two is? No idea. Daryl Sutter from the Calgary Flames. This list is a joke, (laughs) by the way. What are we doing? By the way, Google Daryl Sutter. (laughs) Do us a favor and Google Daryl Sutter (laughs) right now, and you'll understand this list is a joke. Listen, Jim Montgomery. Glass houses. I, I get it. Like, I... Oh, are you saying I that you're ugly too? Either. But come on, <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, Jim Montgomery, you asked, is the second ugliest head coach in the National really? Hockey League. That's a joke also. Yeah, well, David Quinn, who like by a ton of people's when he was the head coach in the New York Rangers, uh, was like the sexiest head coach according to a ton of magazines. Yeah, David Quinn is the fourth ugliest head coach in the National Hockey League. I think there were people trying to hurt people with this list. And it is not fair to rank people's good looks. Who would be the best looking in this show right David now? David Quinn T-Bone. looks like if you put Rockio's head on a smaller body. What? Look up, Shots right, at look Matthew up David Rockio. I, I'm talking about like a... He's he, saying Rockio's head's too big for his body. I don't appreciate that. I, no, I don't see that it. at all. I don't see all it. All right, look, on he, the count of three. Maybe it's just the hair that does it for me. The hair is definitely very similar. On the count of three, let's say the best looking person on this show. Ready? One, two, three. Come. Okay. Right, well, cool. Oh, for three. Coming up in about 15 uh, minutes or so, three. we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters. Want to get our weekend look ahead, especially to tomorrow night's game. I'm really interested in this Dolphins versus the Bengals game. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, Ollie Marmel. I'm going to give him the credit that he deserves for the way that he managed this team 
And so was Eduardo Perez, who said that this is the best managerial job he's seen in a manager's first season ever. Talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I respect the hell out of what Ollie Marmol has done with the team this year. I think he's been the perfect manager for this specific situation. He said at the beginning of the year, hey, this is our expectation for the team. We are going to win this year, and it's it's World Series or bust for him. He laid down the gauntlet early on. He has lived up to everything that he said that he would be doing in his introductory press conference. Honestly, he said, hey, we're going to play with the splits. We are going to do some unconventional things with pitching. I will never forget watching what they did in Wrigley with their pitching staff. Was that a five game series or whatever it was? Yeah. And they found a way to get through that, despite the fact that the starters barely were able to get through a few innings. It, it was remarkable. The bullpen management that he had in that series in particular I think he's done a really good job. Eduardo Perez, though, his opinion on such things, I think, carries a little bit more weight than what me, Alex, or Tanner thinks about the job that Ali Marmol has done. Here's Eduardo Perez earlier today on MLB Network Radio talking about how good of a job he believes Ali's done. Let's give a lot of credit also to Ali Marmol. First year in, and he has been as impressive as I've ever seen of a first-year manager going into meetings on Sundays, being there on Saturdays, grounded and aware and in awe of his players. and But at the same time, he has commanded the respect of every single veteran and young player in that clubhouse, including his coaches. I think you saw that yesterday, actually. During the post-game uh, reception where they, they were all celebrating inside of the clubhouse. I don't know how much you guys were able to watch of it, whether it was on Bally Sports Midwest or some of the coverage that's now been sent out afterwards, especially the Cardinals Twitter account, their Instagram. They've they've posted a few of the videos as well. Ali Marmel clearly has the respect and appreciation of his team, but he's also liked. And that's a really hard line to draw there where uh, you want to be liked by your team, but you also want to be respected by them. And I think all he's done so far in his first year, it's early on, but in his first year as a manager, I think he's done a really good job of being able to, when they need to hear something that is critical, he's done that. When we need to hear something publicly that is critical of the team, he's willing to be honest and he's refreshingly candid in front of the media. But he also will still stick by his guys. How many times have we heard him say this year, I'm betting on Yachty or for this team to be its best version of itself. We need Tyler O'Neill to be the best version of himself or now with Adam Wainwright. I'm not betting against that guy. Like he's willing to stick by his players, but he's not going to give you the canned answers. He's also going to say like with Wayno, Hey, Sunday's a big day for him. He needs to go out there and show us something for us to feel confident with him starting in the wild card round. So I, I think to Eduardo Perez's point, he is respected within that clubhouse. He's also liked within that clubhouse. And those are the two things that you need for a manager, especially early on in his tenure. We'll look no further than Adam Wainwright's comments with Kerry Davis and Randy this morning on the opening drive where he talked about wanting to get an at-bat before the end of the season. And, yeah. <laughs> and Wayno's like, uh, he just looked at me and said, no. And he's like, I was kind of taken back by that. Now, joking aside, of course, that's Ali Marmol. But 
the guy has done everything right this season. He has earned respect. Honestly, we I forgot who said it at the beginning of the year. Probably me because it was a good take. Uh, he's Alex Cora. He's Alex Cora of the, the Boston Red Sox. And I, I kind of laughed at that because I'm like, man, that's a tough thing to ask for how good Cora has been as a manager. But he has been that at least in one season. Now, a lot of the success is going to come in the postseason. That's how people judge managers. But for what he did this season and accomplished – I I would say that Buster was spot on comp because in my eyes, those are two very comparable managers and how they run their baseball team. I think it's impressive how he's won that clubhouse with those veteran guys because yeah. I, you heard it last night on post game when they were breaking it down. It, it was a, it was going to be a tough task of Yadier dealing with a catcher, Yadier who wants to play every day, and they've been able to split that load with him and Kisner. Albert Pools coming in as a veteran. Adam Wainwright being a guy that we're talking about potentially – not being on the wild card roster, and we're serious about that because I think Ollie would be willing to make that move, and he's making that move younger than Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, and Albert Pujols. I don't think there's any chance we're having that discussion in the previous manager eras with Matheny and Mike Schultz, and that's not a shot against him, but I just don't think they would be willing to take out a guy that's been one of the best in franchise history and take him off of a playoff roster or at least pull him out of a rotation, but I think Ollie's willing to do it because he has the respect of that clubhouse, and I don't think because of Ollie and the way he's managed, I think you've seen the front office be able to, to your point earlier, BK, maximize the use of the roster. I mean, I don't think Albert's back if if it weren't for Ollie being willing to play the platoons. And I, and I know that he's hitting right-handers well now, but early on in the year, he was not. And that was his uh, lone role was to hit left-handed pitching as well. And then you've seen him kind of take the rookies under their wings. Dylan Carlson, who's not a rookie, but is one of the highly touted prospects that the Cardinals have had in recent years. And they've been willing to say, hey, performance is going to dictate uh, your playing time. And their first stretch, Carlson was not seeing uh, at-bats against right-handed pitchers. Paul DeYoung was sent down to the minor leagues. You've seen rookies, when they go cold, he ends up sitting them for a while. Nolan Gorman, for example. Now, he's in Memphis now, but there for a while, he was just sitting the bench and just kind of, they kept saying, yeah, as much as we'd like to get him played appearances, he's got to work on stuff. And Ollie's willing to say it. And I, I think it's a very refreshing thing for not just us in the media, but also the fan base as well to kind of understand what Ollie is thinking. That's what I was about to get into is all of the different things that we've seen from him this year. Pujols, first half exclusively playing more often than not against left-handed pitching. Then he starts hitting against righties a little bit, gets the opportunity, shows, hey, maybe he can do this a little bit. Now he's an everyday player for you. Yachty, with him going to Puerto Rico randomly and taking a month off from the team and then going back to Puerto Rico again. And now with the knee issues, he's... Only starting right now, Yachty is with Adam Wainwright, which just kind of went under the radar, and that's the way that they've handled it because he's trying to work through some of this soreness. I think he's done a really good job of manning the, managing the catching situation. Uh, DeYoung option, the outfield mix being up in the air seemingly from the very first day of this season. The young guys getting them opportunities, like a Donovan early on this season. Hey, let's throw him out there. Let's see what he's got. He shows you really good at bats. Okay, he's an everyday player now for us. He's going to start all over the diamond. He's going to give guys days off. The way that he utilized the DH where, hey, it's going to be Goldie getting a day off once a week in the DH spot. You're going to see Arenado once a week getting a day off in the DH spot to keep those guys fresh. And then you look at the way that he eased guys into their bullpen roles. I think that's a huge thing for him. He eases him in at first. Palante, for example. Then he gets into high leverage spots. Palante shows he can be a multi-inning reliever. They have a need for a starter. They don't call up a guy that's not prepared for the opportunity. Say, so let's see what let's see what we can get out of Palante here. We're going to stretch him out at the big league level. Guess what? It worked. It kept them afloat for a little while. Him playing with the splits. Hey, there's a righty on the mound. Our lefty bat's going to be the best thing to give us an opportunity here, even though he's not an everyday player. Only use him in those spots. It's just 
the way that you want a manager to maximize the roster talent that you have available to you, and not just the 26-man roster, but the entire 40-man roster, that's what we've seen this year. And so we got a text earlier about how, hey, he's managed no differently than what we saw from Matheny or from Mike Schilt. I could not disagree with that more. I think there have been tangible differences Absolutely. with the way that the roster has been managed this season. And you can look no further than what you're seeing with the bullpen right now. You know what I see in the bullpen? Arrested group of guys. Guys that are going into the playoffs, not uh, running on fumes. Ryan Helsley last night threw 104 miles per hour. Why? Because he wasn't running to the ground over the course of this entire season. He would use Gallegos at times. You could use last night Helsley for two innings to be able to clinch that yeah, game for you. There's not a clear-cut closer on this team because of Ali Marmol. Biggest, uh, the biggest at-bats in the late innings where it's the highest leverage, that's where you're going to Helsley. And yep. he's willing to do that because you also have another guy that can close games out. So, uh, say, let's say this. Ali Marmol, I, I don't know how many managers matter in Major League Baseball. There's probably like five to seven of them that are really good. Another five to seven that are so bad that if they are your manager, they give you a like tangible, you're going to lose more games because this guy can't manage your roster. And there's like 15 that are just somewhere in between where they're fine. I think Ollie's one of those five to seven that actually does manager and gives you a tactical advantage on a night-to-night basis. Well, and to the text of that said, that's the same as Matheny and, and Mike Schilt. I, I mean, also look no further than Paul DeYoung. Uh, sure. Paul DeYoung would have played all this season as the shortstop despite his struggles. And Ollie got to the point, and I know John Mozalek has a part in that too, but Ollie got to the point where it's like, we can't play him. We got to move. He even shifted Tommy Edmond over to the shortstop position. There's no way under the, uh, the previous two managers that Edmundo Sosa would have been traded. He would have been your shortstop, and Edmond would have been your second baseman. But Ollie basically put the faith in a player and said, no, nah, he could play shortstop, and we need to get this player right and moved on from him. I, I think the young guys is probably the biggest thing for me. Absolutely. The, the difference between Ollie versus Schilt. Ollie trusted the young guys, and he trusted them as long as he could. Until he no longer could, like, for example, you brought up Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman was a very productive player for the Cardinals for what six weeks, eight weeks. And then for a three or four week stretch, he went very cold. What do you do? Well, we're not trusting him anymore. He's not a, he's not going to get any opportunities coming off of the bench or starting. Send him down. Let's see if another guy can do it. And now guess what you're seeing? Alec Burleson's getting some opportunities up here. Or you're seeing like a Lars Newbar getting everyday opportunity. They're able to get those opportunities and then run with it, and he will go with them as long as they can handle it. And once they show that they no longer can, okay, we'll send you back down, and whenever you're ready to come back up, be confident because you're going to get another opportunity up here with the big league club. So that's what you're looking for, and I think he's done a really good job in being able to maximize what these guys are able to give them. And then they go out there and they, they've been able to perform this year. So credit to him, credit to the Cardinals for, for being able to do that. Also on MLB Network, last night, guys, I was watching and they were breaking down the wild card contenders and which teams they would be most fearful of going into the playoffs. Here's what MLB Network had to say on that. Phillies, Brewers, Padres, if you're a ball club, and I know it could depend on matchups, who do you not want to face? For me, the Padres are the team. Yes. Would you agree? I agree. 100%. Would you agree? Yeah, but the okay. toughest draw for them is they're going to likely play either the Mets or the Braves in that first right. round. Sure. But for the Mets or the Braves, that's not a fun series. No, that's what I'm no, saying, no, especially when Snell's pitching like right. that. You have Darvish. Musgrove, I think, would play up in a, in a spot like that, and he's a pretty solid pitcher for them. So we'll see. Padres playing tonight against the Dodgers. you got to get in there. Is that the team that you guys would be most fearful of? If you were going into the playoffs today, you were you were ranking the teams, Padres, Phillies, and Brewers. Which one would you be most to least fearful of? 
you're the Cardinals. Most fearful for me, the Phillies, then the Padres. Least fearful for me is the Brewers. And a lot of it is because of how the offense stacks up against your team. Because Phillies are a team that I think the Cardinals could sit there and say, like, they're trailing in the game early and playing catch-up does not bode well for this Cardinals team. So I would say Phillies are the most fearful, Padres second, and then uh, I would love to take on the Milwaukee Brewers in the playoffs. I would say the number one team that I don't want to face is San Diego. I I think the three that we've talked about in the rotation, Musgrove, Snell, and Darvish, those guys can just shut down a lineup. And I and as much as like Juan Soto struggled, I think he's starting to pick it up just a little bit. Same with Josh Bell. I think the lineup is kind of starting to pick things up slowly but surely for the San Diego Padres. And if they get hot, they're going to be one of the most unbeatable teams in baseball, in my opinion. I would say number two then would be Philadelphia, and then the team I want to play the most would be the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I just don't think Milwaukee's a very good team. I, I'm not convinced that they're getting in. And I know the season series is like 10-8, I think, at this point in favor of the Cardinals, so it's been pretty even. I just look at that Milwaukee team, and I don't think they're very good. So I, I would say they'd be the team I'd want to face. If We're all on the in. same page here. I, I think it's Padres, Phillies, and then Brewers in terms of most to least concerning if you were going up against them going into the playoffs. I would most want to play the Brewers. I also think that's the least likely team for the Cardinals to Agreed. play going into the playoffs, uh, unfortunately. But I, I think that's the way that I would rank them. And I, all things considered, I think facing the Phillies in the first round, given what your other options were, Probably best case scenario. Like, would you rather be one of the the Braves or the Mets going into this postseason and you've got to play against the Padres or be the Cardinals? I'd I'd rather be the Cardinals going into the postseason. Uh, Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. But next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including what we're expecting from Thursday night football between the Dolphins and the Bengals. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. What do you guys think of the Amazon Prime game so far? The Thursday night football. Are you into it? I like it. I, I hate the fact because I always forget I don't have the Prime app on my phone. And like if I'm not home, I'm like, oh, I can put it all up on my uh, television subscription app. And I'm like, oh, wait, crap. It's on you Amazon Prime. Da- download that pretty easily, right? Well, but yeah, but sometimes I delete it and then I put it back on. You know, I don't have lot, I don't like to have a lot of trash on my phone, BK. I like to, to make sure my phone's clean like my I wallet. I seriously have an app on my phone I know I have not used in like three years. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I'm not about that stuff. I've got stuff. some that I haven't used there. ever. You guys, I guarantee you guys have library cards from when you there. were five or in your actually, wallets you know, right now. You say that, I think I do actually uh, have You look like a George Costanza with your wallet, sir. The reason why I ask is because I'm really excited about this Dolphins versus Bengals game. The line has actually moved, but not in the direction that I expected to. It's now Bengals minus four. The over-under has also dropped. It's down to 47. That is the oh, I'd take the I over in that one. I'm ta- I would take the under in this game. Oh, so really? Under's yeah. really, the under's really killing it this year. Especially on Thursday nights. It's typically, that. that's where it goes under. don't you? I'm still looking. I'm oh, I was going to say. Who do you guys like in this game? Dolphins, Bengals. I think based on their performances so far this year, people would be pretty surprised to see the Bengals as a significant yeah. favorite. I, I like the Bengals in this one because <laughs> I, I'm saying this and they actually could be, but they can't be this bad, right? They might be, but like Jamar Chase was non-existent last week for them. That can't continue. I think a Bengals team that's going to be at home on a night game, big stage like this, 
I think the Cincinnati Bengals show up. So if it was minus four, which the line has shifted, I think I would actually take Cincinnati in that one. See, I like Miami. I, I'm just concerned about Cincinnati being able to protect Burrow still. So I I think I would lean towards Miami. I would take them on that line. I, I agree with you, though. I think it's going to be the under. I, I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of offense. Two is dealing with something, too. I don't think he practiced uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. I, don't, I haven't seen an updated injury report. Waddle's yeah, they, dealing with a groin, too. They technically didn't practice yesterday, so it was all the projections of, like, if we would have practiced, would he yeah. have been out there? And they said no for Tua, but Waddle, are, Waddle also Waddle's dealing with a groin injury, I think is what it is. Either groin or hamstring. I can't remember. Yeah, groin. You guys yeah, are so. betting against the team that's put their new white jerseys on, too. Yeah. Those are sweet. Those I are like awesome. Them. I love the helmets more than anything. Yeah. I like the Bengals' side of things in this because it feels like a get-right spot. And yeah. if they don't get right on Thursday night football against the Miami Dolphins, we're going to have to start having some serious conversations about whether or not they're even going to make the playoffs this year. Cincinnati. Then they can get that left tackle that they've been dying to get. Yeah. Time to time to go trade for Laramie Tunsil because Update. after this... Don't have a library card. Don't have a library card. That's disappointing. Liar. After this week, they go to Baltimore to face off against the Ravens. That's a loss. They go down to New Orleans to play That's against the, the Saints. I don't know. It At depends, New Orleans, I guess. It's a tough game. If they're healthy, then I think they could actually perform. It it starts getting late early if you're the Dolphins and you lose this game. You fall to one and three, potentially one and four next week. It's pretty rare that a team that far behind will be able to make it up by the end of the season. So this is a big one for them. The Dolphins don't need it nearly as much. I think that the Bengals end up taking care of business. There was a report the other day that the Steelers will not be making a change at quarterback anytime this season, much less this week. Guys, That's why? Terrible. Why aren't the Steelers making a change at quarterback? They need to. I, I mean, they're wide. I always thought Pittsburgh was in a good spot with their wide receivers. I mean, they moved on from Juju Smith-Schuster because of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Those guys have been terrible in the first few weeks of the season for Pittsburgh. Like they've been running the ball and then they've been overthrowing their receivers and it's been defense that's kept them in games. I don't know how you can sit there and stick with Mitch Trubisky and say, this is our best option. I understand that you're going to a rookie in that spot. Who cares? Let him go out there and try and make a connection with these receivers. You drafted him for a reason. If you were going to do it, this has to be the week. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're playing against the Jets this week, and then the schedule gets really tough. You got Buffalo on the road. You got Tampa at home, and then you go on the road for two consecutive weeks before your bye week at Miami, at Philadelphia. If you don't do it this week, you're not doing it until the bye week. So I don't think they're going to make that change. I think they should, though. It's either right now or during the bye. Mitchell Trubisky has already proven he is just not going to be the guy. No, His legs were the only thing that he did well in Chicago, and he hasn't been running for the Steelers so far. I, I think you got to make that move. His oh, best okay. games were when he was with Buffalo. Yeah, when he was yeah, the, when he's standing on the, the Ryan sideline. Clark thing where it's the tablet yeah. and they circle the quarterback and say, "See this? This is where yep. he belongs." That's Trubisky. Oh, Trubisky you, belongs on the sideline. How you side do our line. guy like that? Trubisky's terrible. When you have the nickname Risky Trubisky, you should never say to yourself, "That's our quarterback." Well, in defense of nicknames, Andy Dalton's the Red Rocket, and look what happened. He's starting this week. It sounds like. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> oh God. Speaking of underdogs, according to Yahoo, favorites were just four, nine, and one against the spread on Sunday. A lot of underdogs that are not only covering, a lot of them are winning outright. To this point in the season, underdogs are now 27-18-2 against the spreads. They're winning about 60% of the time. Guys, we're going to have to start taking more of the underdogs in our in our pick'em challenge. I, I lost with two favorites this past week, and the one that I won was Packers as the underdog. So, yeah, I think this next coming week, I'm just going all underdogs. 
if I do that, though, I'll go on three and yeah, I'll be no, the I first think one. I, for all of us. I think I want to see what he picks first <laughs> yeah. before I decide on my answer. Well, in defense, though, we I think the pick he took first last week was one all I, of us would have taken. I will say this. I think the first, like, four or five weeks are usually the toughest because you still don't truly know what teams are. So for now... Yeah, I would say you kind of figure a way to split it 50-50 between the road, uh, between the favorites and the team that's not favored. By the time we get to like week five or six, I feel like it pretty much ends up going towards the favorites the most. At that point, I think everybody knows who they are. I think you start to see lines that are more favorable towards those favorites, and that's when I usually typically start to lean heavier on the when a team's minus, I think the Chiefs, for example, were five and a half against any this week. I agreed with that pick, by the way, but like, when you get to like week six, when that line shows up, I feel more comfortable in picking it than I would currently. I think that the underdog, I, I think the league is just more condensed this year. I don't think there's those awesome teams on the front end, and I don't think there's as many terrible teams on the back end either. I think even those, like the Houston Texans of recent years, or the Miami Dolphins when they were tanking for Tua, those teams were so incredibly bad that they didn't have a chance no matter what the point spread was. Now you look at some of the teams that are at the bottom of the league. Most of them are, they're feisty. They they might not be good, but yeah, like you look at the Texans and on a week to week basis, while they're not good, they're competitive. The, even the Chicago bears. who I thought coming into the season, we're going to be a clear cut. They've got number one pick potential written all over them. They're two and one to start the season. So I just think that the league is more condensed this year. Like the only 0-3 team on the season is the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are okay. They're they're not a bad football team. So I think that's contributing to this as well. The other thing that has been a trend in the NFL this year is the scoring. And when I say scoring, I actually mean the lack of it. This is the lowest scoring start to the season in the last decade, guys. And if you look at the passing yardage, it is also the least productive pass offense as we've seen in the last 10 years. Do you guys have any theories on why that is the case? I mean, I don't think any of them are right, but a couple that come to mind. One, you're seeing a lot of quarterbacks that are trying to be more mobile than throwing, and that's going to result in more red zone chances that don't go their way. And in other circumstances, I don't know, maybe you're losing some creativity on the offensive scheme size of where you're just trying to... uh, grind down the clock or something like that. Those are the only couple things I can think of because you think of the quarterbacks, look at them, the Jalen Hurts is the Lamar Jackson's the Josh Allen tech, Daniel Jones basically opted not to throw the ball this past week and ran it more times than not. So that's the only thing I can come up with. I, I truly don't have an answer for it, except defense have finally started to make the adjustment to what we've seen going with the two high safeties, which we've talked about in the past. I, I do wonder, and I think it's a theory that a lot of people have thrown out there, and like I think it might play into some teams, but I, I don't think it's the answer. I, I, it's the theory of, well, starters aren't starting in the preseason, so they're rusty by the time they get to the start. I think that has some factor of it, but that's not new. Like The Rams have done that for the last, since, the shot, since Sean McVay took over. And Stafford, this is his second year of resting in the preseason, and he looks rustier now than he did last year. So I don't think it's... He needs Tommy John. He might, but I I don't think it's all just on the fact that starters aren't playing in the preseason anymore. I think that may contribute to some of it, some of the sloppiness that we see early on in games, but I don't think that's the sole reason through the first three weeks that the offenses are way down. I truly don't have a good theory on it. There's a piece on NFL.com that went through a few of the things that have changed. I mean, none of them are particularly convincing. I 
I Good. always I've heard from some that like the cover two is up significantly and that's making teams go more plays. It takes more time off of the clock. It is harder to put together a 12 play drive than it is an eight play drive where you've got some kind of an explosive play. But then you look at the usage cover two right now this year in the NFL is at 14 percent over the last four years. The average is 11 percent. I mean, that's up, but not in a significant way where it should be decreasing uh, scoring like this. I think this is the thing that I've seen that maybe signifies that it's fluky. Teams have lost 11 red zone fumbles through the first three weeks of the season. That is tied for the second most over the last decade. And the high, it's the highest uh, fumble percentage, the rate of fumbles that we've seen near the goal line in the last decade as well. It might just be something where teams are fumbling in fluky ways closer to the end zone than they have in recent years. And that's taking down the scoring as a result of that. We'll see if six weeks from now this continues to be the case. But if it does, I I will be very curious to see some of the think pieces that we see at the end of the season indicating what it was, what what led to the drop in scoring this year compared to recent NFL's seasons. NFL is going to make you really got to play with 10 defensive players. Or they're going to defend something. something. <laughs> or you're going to deflate the footballs. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario rewind. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, want to get his thoughts on the unfortunate injury last night for Scott Perunovic. And what has he seen thus far from Jake Neighbors and Logan Brown? Talk to Chris Kerber next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Refreshed by Randall's, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues were back in action last night in preseason game against the Chicago Blackhawks. They ended up winning that one. Unfortunately, they lost a player in it. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us now here via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Uh, Kerb, Scott Perunovich goes down in that game with what appeared to be a, a wrist or a hand injury. I don't know if you know any specifics yet. I know we have not seen anything from Craig Berube, but uh, what was your initial reaction when you saw that and then now as you've had some time to think about what that injury means for the Blues what's your what's your assessment of it well I I, unfortunately I didn't see it when it happened Uh, I had to kind of review it like everybody else did Um, you know and then you kind of notice what happens uh, when you're doing what we're doing you realize if you didn't see something like that you're like hey I haven't said a guy's name in a while you know and and so what does this mean Um, so you know unfortunately for Scott I don't have an update for you, as you guys know. I mean, as soon as the team says something, you know, we'll tell it. Now, I, I've always believed this, and I don't know how this will work out. If if you hear somebody, uh, he's going to be sidelined for a couple weeks, you normally breathe a little bit easier. When you hear there's a certain amount of time and then will be reevaluated, that's the word that always makes me, you know, just kind of gulp the Kool-Aid a little bit harder, you know, when they say, hey, you know, is it is, is it – it's going to be reevaluated. That normally means that there's something else that they just want to double check. So um, we'll wait and see how that plays out. Look, it's unfortunate. I actually I feel so bad for Scott. He stayed in town. He trained throughout the summer. He was participating in charity golf tournaments just to be part of the community. He's had such a tough start to his pro career because of injuries that you really feel for a young player in this situation. So I, I'm hoping like all heck 
that this isn't all that serious and and then it's just a, it, it's just something minor for him because there's a great opportunity. We already know that Scandell is going to be out six months, and so that spot was open on top of who plays with Robert Bortuzzo. If you penciled Robert Bortuzzo in that five spot, you know, so you were looking at Mikola, you're looking at Perunovic, you've got an opportunity with Callie Rosen, and then I think you know as as well Matt Kessel has kind of worked his way. And by the way, and we'll maybe we'll talk about Tucker next. He had a heck of a game last night. So, um, unfortunately, it might sideline Scott a little bit in camp as he's trying to make this team, and that's that's the difficult part. Well, the question, Curbs, that I've seen so many people bring up on our text line today and last night when I was doing post game is if Perunovic is out for an extended period of time, you know, the depth is starting to get hit for defense. Does Doug Armstrong feel the need to look elsewhere for help, or does he just stick with what he has in-house? Well, Again, you know, it's funny. We talked about this a little bit when uh, Scandella went down. My my feeling is that you still stick with what you've got in house. You've got Nico Mikola, you know, who don't forget played 35, 40 games last season with Colton Pareko in, in a top pair role. Um, so you've got that option. Callie Rosen, very steady. He's only played the one preseason game, but grudge exactly what you thought. It looks to me initially like, you know, Matt Kessel probably could use some more seasoning, maybe a little more beefing up down, you know, getting some more workouts in down in the American Hockey League. The player that is kind of that really jumped off the page at me last night was Tyler Tucker. Now, here's a seventh-round draft pick of the Blues that, you know, came in and he's, he's really changed. His whole body has changed. When he first came into camp, you're dealing with, a you know, an 18% higher, you know, body fat type count. He's learned how to be a pro while playing in the American Hockey League. Uh, he's worked on his body. His body, from when you talk to scouts, and when we have talked to some of the blue staff on this, has, has completely changed. He's really becoming a player. Body fat down under 10, starting to look like a player. He was throwing that body around, especially in that third period last night. He was making good, solid plays. And last season, his rookie year in Springfield, he ended up being put on the defense pairing with Steven Santini, and that became the shutdown pair for the Springfield Falcons that led their way all the way to a Calder Cup final appearance. So I, I think you're in a spot where if Doug does not want to go out and knock on somebody's door, I still think you've got some decent depth for right now, um, depending on the, the length of term that you could have Perunovic out. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I didn't want to ask you about a guy that we've had a lot of conversations about here on the show, and that's Logan Brown, who right now looks like, I don't know if the favorite, but he's battling for the third-line center position. What have you seen from him early on in preseason action? He's done all he could do so far in camp. If you're Logan Brown, you're coming off of last year where it was going okay. You know, they, they sent you down, you know, you end up going down to the minors, you get called up. They really made you a focus when you were in down there, challenging you every step of the way. You know, instead of being in his hometown, he got away from the noise this summer. He trained in Phoenix, really working on his skating and, and going through there. And then as camp opens up, he's looked good. He gets the opportunity in the first two games and just produced. I mean, that's all he did. He did exactly what he needed to do in what was a top-line role in those games, and that's find a way to produce. And I actually think, and I know he and Jake Neighbors had really good games against Arizona. I liked their, the second game for each of those guys better than the first, even though maybe they didn't score as much. And, and, you know, yes, Logan Brown did. But 
He made a great play exiting the zone that led a rush with Colton Pareko. Uh, he was really good, I thought, kind of below the, the face-off dots in his own zone and got back there. And that's where a big body like Logan can really thrive in this Craig Berube, get the puck in and control a down-low type system. So I think, I think Logan Brown so far has done everything he can do. The next step for Logan Brown is honestly to just keep it as simple like he is. Take advantage of every opportunity, play smart hockey, and then just let the game that you know you have in you play. And I think he's been fantastic so far. Curbs, I asked this yesterday to um, Alex, and he got mad at me for it, but I'm going to ask it to you as well. If I said right now you can hit a button and you lock in this production from Logan Brown in 2022, would you do so? In 2020, Zach Sanford finished the year with 16 goals and 14 assists. He was a plus 13 on the ice in 58 games, and he averaged right around 14 minutes per game. 30 points, plus 13 on the ice, played 58 games, 14 minutes per. If you could lock that in today for Zach Sanford, or for, excuse me, for Logan Brown, would you? Or would you press your luck and hope that he ends up being better than that? Well, uh, oh, that's a great question. I, I think if you lock that in, you're going to be really happy because he'll be playing in that third, sometimes fourth-line role if that happens. I actually think this team, though, is just deeper and more talented offensively, so I would expect you could do more. I, I think Logan Brown could be and should be a better player than Zach Sanford was. So I guess it would, for me... I'm going to go ahead and gamble, and I'm going to expect a little bit more from him this year because I think he can deliver it on this team. You know, Curse, somebody's never told you this before, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're an intelligent individual for saying that because someone else said that on the radio yesterday. And somebody else did not. And somebody else did not. <laughs> uh, yeah, but what? Alex, you might want to be a little bit careful here because, uh, like, my next question for you is going to be, like, like, how do you screw up a punishment with a paintball gun? Because I think double jeopardy is attached. I think you guys lost your chance. No, see, double jeopardy would be attached, Curbs, if I didn't show up with the equipment or I forgot to bring something. Everything was there. The equipment just malfunctioned on us. Would have been better if you well, would have yeah, you know, again, like, done the... Uh, again, I still think, though, that's not, that's not PK's fault. I think it becomes cruel and unusual punishment to make somebody go through it twice. So I just, I just think you got to make sure your gear is good. But he didn't. But he didn't go through it once. He just sat there and waited patiently. Here's the thing, Curbs. For an hour. He sucked. It's your fault. No, no, <laughs> Curbs. Here's the yeah, thing, Curbs. Get him. It's his fault because he doesn't know how to pick football games. Curbs. If he was better at that, he no. wouldn't have to be punished. Curbs, he's not even going to feel it. He was dressed like the Michelin yeah, Man. Curbs, yesterday. the guy wore seven layers because he's worried about it's a three. paintball gun. It's three layers it seemed listen, reasonable to me. Listen, you two. I'm just. I'm just telling you. He he was willing to take the penance, and and you guys didn't have the gear working. I mean, you guys should have tested that thing out and make sure everything was good. Again, I got I got to hang that on the executioner here. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a really smart man. Right. Curbs, I take back right what now. I said, and I'm done. That's it. Hey, Curbs, yeah, before we like get you out of here, before we get you out of here, Curbs, best case yep. scenario, your line with Ryan O'Reilly is what. I really like the idea of a line with Ryan O'Reilly of Pavel Buchnevich on the left and, and Jordan Cairo on the right. Now, Jordan Cairo, I think, is going to have to get better defensively, and Ryan O'Reilly is going to make him better at that. But I, I I do really like that scenario. I know they looked at Brandon Saad last night, and they're going to look at Braden Shen, I think, on that line as well. But, you know, for me, I just think if this team is going to have the depth to, to be considered a championship team, I need Brandon Saad on the left wing on my third line. And then moving up the lineup when other guys are struggling or, or things happen, uh, and, and then I need you know I need a left wing in front of him of a, of a Jake Neighbors of a um, of, of, of a Pavel Butchnevich and a Braden Shen type scenario. That, that that to me 
is is what I would at least hang my hat on right now. I want you to know that was the wrong answer because that's what uh, Alex Ferrario has been saying all day. Curbs, once again, you're an intelligent individual despite what you said about the paintball gun. Apparently, Alex has finally started to listen to people, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. Curbs, I'd like he, you, to, you know, he's been doing those pregame shows with Joey, so something's rubbing off. Curbs, I'd like you to uh, be a part of our football pickums from now on, and you can join in on the punishments with us. Not a chance in hell. <laughs> Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, guys, be good. See you, Curbs. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN, as he does each and every Wednesday throughout uh, the hockey season. Play this. Logan Brown, not press that button because he's better than Sanford. Shen get an opportunity with O'Reilly or maybe Buchnevich, who also said that Saad would be a perfect third-line center. Misery loves company. That's all this is. I just uh, I really enjoyed that interview today with Chris Kerber. Yeah, I I did too, uh, to be able to tell both of you how wrong you were at the end of the season. That's my role here on this show is to to be right about everything. As you guys know, that's kind of my brand. Go back and tell us what the Cardinals OPS Plus on Wednesday night games were this season. I'll look that up in the break. We'll get to the BK and Ferrari Coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex asked for a very specific stat in the last segment. I don't know why, a but Pacific? You want like a Pacific specific. Ocean? Pacific. Try that again. Take two. Uh, he asked for Sound Wednesday like night. What are, the, what are the Cardinals hitting statistics? They are 12 and 8 this year on Wednesday nights. They're batting 266 with a 773 OPS. They have 21 home runs in those 28 games. So they for asking. <laughs> so Nerd. going into tonight's game, I'm expecting a good one. Uh, uh, you expecting a good OPS tonight? Yeah, huh? is Connor Capel available? No, it's Capel. Whatever his name is. Is he available tonight? I think it is actually Capel. Why would you need him, man? You got Ben Delugio. And Ben Delugio is going to be in the lineup. I can't wait to hear what the, the lineup game is Do you want to like, do tonight. the pretend lineup game because the lineup's not out? Oh, dude, good luck. Burleson, Delugio, Yepes in the outfield. Yep. Now, I think Yepes is starting at first for you. You got to have one of Dickerson, Newt. I think Dickerson, probably Dickerson or Newt are in there. I think. No, oh Newt. no, Newt Newt is not in the lineup. <laughs> Dickerson's in the lineup Newt today. Part. Sorry, Donovan's playing third. Uh-huh. Paul DeYoung's at short. I've got Tommy Edmond at second. I've got one Yepes at first. I'll, I'll put Pujols at first. No, Pujols ain't gonna be starting today. Yeah, no Pujols chance. will start. No yeah, chance. No, no, Pujols today. is good. Dickerson will be your no DH. Chance. Looking forward to the game tonight. I, I, I honestly, Yachty's catching right. Put, put Wayne Owen at DH. What the hell? Why not? <laughs> I don't even know if Newt is going to be with the team in Milwaukee to him tonight. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he is uh, out for general soreness. <laughs> He's in his hotel room still. Alex, this has been a, an okay show today. Uh, tomorrow will be better because we know what we're anticipating. And from the uh, 314, if BK gets out of his punishment, I'm boycotting the show. Uh, I promise you, BK and Ferrario fans, BK will not avoid this punishment. I don't promise you because I don't break my promises and I can't. I can't speak to what Alex's situation is with the paintball gun If I have to drive to Effingham, Illinois, which is an hour and a half away, to get a CO2 tank filled, I will. Solely so I can shoot you in your rear end with two paintballs. One paintball. Oh, no, you agreed to three of them, so two for me, one for T-Bone. 
And also, we got to cut down those layers that you're wearing. Okay. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I think at you 11 a.m. I think you should wear um, yoga pants. Oh yeah, that's what I think you should do. Fast lane coming up next. <laughs> you want to know what my giraffe sounds like? No. Please. What does a giraffe even sound like? You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.